At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A warmer from the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Chris Kessoops with myself, Greg Oops Peters, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And we've got a tremendous podcast for you as. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by our good friend over there at Chalk Quality Bets, Justin Perry. We're going to be taking a look at just how he's been gauging conference play, some of the things that have been leading to success for him, how he's been gauging a lot of these games, and we're going to be taking a look at the Big 12 for this Tuesday as well, and just sort of the crazy nature that we have seen this season, because I've been saying this a lot with regards to this college basketball season, it's sort of like the old boxing adage where they say matchups make fights. I certainly feel like we've had a lot of that thus far this season, so I'm going to be talking about that and so much more with Justin in segment number two. In the final segment, I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we had some bank shots. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gnet underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Amy does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline. And the other way, that is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Got in a really solid question about gauging shooting percentages. And the question goes... What do you make out of them? Do you attribute it more to the competition played or how well a team's defense has been performing? And I think that's a little bit of A and B because now we're in late January. Now I do think that you can put some credence into shooting percentages. Like if you go through a three-game stretch where it's like, ah, Team X is allowing opponents to shoot just 25% from three, Small sample size. Maybe you caught a team on a good night, on a bad night, what have you. When you're below, I would say, 10 games, the sample size is too small. Now, most of these teams, there are some exceptions, but most of them have played somewhere in the neighborhood of about 18 to 20 games. Maybe a touch more, maybe a touch less. But at this point, you've got enough data to know, all right, this team is allowing opponents to shoot 25% from three, they're a legitimate defense. They're doing solid work, and the conference that you're in, it is going to vary a little bit. Like, we've been talking about this quite a bit on the podcast. The SEC doesn't have a lot of great three-point shooting teams. Missouri being a little bit of an exception, but most of these teams in the SEC have a little bit of a tough time shooting from three-point range. Meanwhile, in the Summit League, 
nobody's playing any defense whatsoever, and you've got a lot of good three-point shooting. Like, your turnovers per game, they're going to be a little bit different out there in the Southland than they're going to be in the Big Ten, where you don't necessarily force a lot of steals. So, the conference landscape itself, the competition, it does play something. At the same time, you've got to have a top team out there in the Southland when it comes to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. You've got to have a top team in terms of three-point shooting percentage, what have you. So, I do think that you need to keep in mind the competition that is being played, but at the same time, if you see a team that's doing a ridiculously good-slash-bad job on defense, certainly... It is an indicator of how they are performing. Maybe a little bit of it is luck, but at the same time, I do think that you can put some stock into these numbers as well. So I do appreciate that question. Didn't have a lot of gains on Monday, but we did have a few intriguing ones. Let's take a look back at everything that we got on a college basketball Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know that he seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Well, with the DK Nation pick, I gave out Duke and... This was a rather salty end for any of us that had Duke. Duke got down double figures early. They were actually up 7-0 very early, but it's a little bit of a topsy-turvy game. Duke gets up by five points midway through the second half. Virginia Tech is able to get about a five-point lead with six minutes remaining. Things slow down, but in the end, Virginia Tech, they are able to get the job done by a count of 78-73. to In this game, Derek Whitehead goes out after about 17 minutes played due to injury, and he was looking good. He had 10 points in this one. That, no doubt, impacted Duke a little bit, but that said, for Duke, what really doomed them was them not being able to get off of screeners to defend threes as Virginia Tech went 10 of 19 from three-point range. Hunter Couture was on one in this game. He goes for 15 points, goes 5 of 10 for three, and Grand Pasile, 24 points, eight rebounds. Big game in this one for Kyle Filipowski. On the flip side for Duke, 29 points, 10 rebounds. This despite the fact that he had a little bit of early foul trouble. So, Virginia Tech, who was on a seven-game losing streak, they closed as a favorite. They get the job done. A little bit of controversy on the winning bucket in which there was that shot to Kyle Filipowski. I don't know what you make out of that. I personally think that there might have been a little bit of a foul that probably should have been called there. That said, inadvertent contact as well. I don't know what the exact rule of the law is on that because I think that that varies from person to person and referee to referee, but certainly was just a very fascinating game to say the least. Very random non-conference game between Penn and Hartford and Penn. They just beat up on poor Hartford, 76-52, the final Jordan Dingle, 23 points in this one in Hartford. They're going to be going down to the D3 level soon and, well, they look like a D3 team in this one and you had a random non-conference game between Chicago State and Coastal Carolina and Coastal Carolina continues to not play defense. 74-70 to the final. Any of you that had the under, this was a very fascinating game. The closing number was 143. If you grab the opener, you were most likely able to get the under because it opened up more around 144 and after 145. So this was very dependent upon the number because there were seven points scored in the final 16 seconds of this game for Coastal Carolina. They go 13 of 37 from three-point range, 25 points out of Josh Uduje, and then for Chicago State, they were able to go 10 of 28 from three with Leslie Cardet going for 21 points, six rebounds, and anyone that's salty about the end of this game, this was a game that completely exploded as we had 105 points up on the board with about 15 minutes remaining in the second half, and then you saw 39 points the final 15 minutes. So if you were able to get there on the under, that was a relative solid cash there. Northwestern, they get the win, they get the cover against Wisconsin, 66-63 the final. Northwestern, who was dealing with COVID issues, really didn't have anyone out due to COVID. They were at... 
close to full strength. Not full, full strength, but at the same time, your normal performance, they were out there for Northwestern as you had to combine 36 points out of Boo Booey and Chase Odige for Wisconsin. They go 10 of 31 from three. Tyler Wall's back in the fold. He had 11 points in this contest, but for Wisconsin, what doomed them was the fact that they went 10 of 31 from three par inch and 9 of 16 at the free line. Meanwhile, Northwestern, 16 of 18 at the charity stripe. Northwestern also won their turnover battle 7-6. So lots of efficient possessions in this game. You also saw efficiency from Colgate. The uh, minty fresh cover from Colgate as they get the job done by a count of 64-51. Opposite of what we typically see from Colgate. Not a lot of scoring in this game as Boston U. 4 of 25 from 3 and 18 of 65 overall from the floor. They won the rebound battle 40 to 35, but they just couldn't do anything with it. They couldn't throw the ball in the basket. Meanwhile, Tucker Richardson, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Colgate looking like by far the best team out in the Patriot League. NC Central entered into Monday as a top three team in terms of cover rate, covering over 70% of their games. Entering into Monday, they lose outright to Maryland Eastern Shore by a count of 59-58, to and they closed as a favorite in that game, so that was relatively rough. You saw Oakland take down Detroit by a count of 76-67. They used a, and I'm not even kidding here, 30-4 to run in the first half to be able to get it done in this one. Oakland has actually been playing a little bit better on defense than Antoine Davis. One of the top scorers in all of college basketball, actually the top scorer in college basketball entering in this game with 27 points per game being his average. He had 14 points on 16 shots. Uh, that did not help out Detroit's cause. And for Oakland, 32 points out of Jalen Moore, who also had seven assists and more importantly, just one turnover. So a big win for Oakland. You saw Delaware State and South Carolina State go to overtime. And a Delaware State team that entered into the day 1-16 and 16 straight up. They were able to get the job done, so they were able to get that W. And past that, we've got two other games that are going on as I do this podcast. I have to record this a little bit earlier because of Greg Peterson experience. That is from midnight to 3 Eastern time out there on the East Coast. Nevada currently leading New Mexico by kind of 43-38. to 38. That's looking like it's going to be a relative nip and duck game. And you've got currently Baylor in the lead on Kansas, 38-30 to 30 as I record this. So if anything notable happens in those two games, I will clean that up on the podcast tomorrow. But we've got to take a look at what we've been getting trend-wise recently in college basketball. And thus far this season, we've been seeing the overs being able to do quite well. 1,685 overs to 1,657 unders. We no doubt have had quite a few pushes along the way as well. I think that we're up to like 60 pushes in total. But that said, we've also been seeing home underdogs do a solid job covering the spread. 487, 434, and 18. So 52.9% hit rate on home underdogs this season. But that has really dried up recently. Over the last seven days, home underdogs are 44, 61, and 6 against the spread in this time span. We've seen unders have a little bit of a comeback. Going for 168 unders, 162 overs, and in terms of pushes, I think we've had three in this time span on totals, but look at the last 30 days in college basketball, expanding it out a little bit more. Home underdogs, 213, 215, and 11 against the spread on a lot of the losing for home underdogs. It has happened within the last three weeks, so we shall see if we get a little bit of a rebound there as road teams. Overall, the last seven days, hitting at a 53% rate, and if you take a look at the last 30 days in college basketball, Road teams, not quite at that clip, but hitting a little bit over 50% of games. So, has been interesting to take a look at college basketball recently, and a man that does a great job of being able to break everything down 
put numbers to what we're all seeing in front of our eyes. That'd be Justin Perry over there at Chalk Quality Bets. We're certainly going to be previewing the Big 12 games that we're going to be seeing on Tuesday. On top of that, we're just going to be taking a look at the landscape of college basketball. Sort of the narrative of matchups makes fights in college basketball as well. So, we're going to have a great chat with Justin on the flip side here on Just Go Six with myself, Jay Experience, and now a part of the Houston Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate available online saturday may 4th at jcp.com and in store thursday may 16th just in time for father's day limited time only jc penny make it count at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. 
And we're back here from the Las Vegas for Gus Gus Eeps with myself, Craig Eeps Peterson, now a part of the Easton Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this guest as he does tremendous work over there at Shock Quality Best, one of our favorites on this podcast. Justin Perry does an amazing job taking a look at college basketball, doing a great job taking a look at the analytics, but also when it comes to Shock Quality Bets, as you know, you've got to use the eye test to determine what shots are good or not that these guys are taking as well. So really do appreciate all the work that Justin Perry does just for the college basketball community as you're able to follow him on Twitter at Justin Perry and the number eight, last name is spelled P-E-R-R-I. And Justin, it is always great to have you aboard, my friend. Thank you. Always such a generous introduction. I'm so appreciative every time I get to hop on the show and talk a little hoops with you, Greg. It's always a pleasure. Love getting to dive into some of what, you know, the extra analytics, the expected analytics start to say about college basketball, especially at this time of the year, right? Like we are really in the heart of it. We're getting great matchups almost every other day. I haven't felt like every single day we have like heavy hitters the way we do right now in a while. Such a privilege to get to talk about this as a job. I'm excited to dive into Tuesday's slate. I am as well. And Justin, what have you really been noticing in college basketball this year that might be a little bit different than the past year? Because I think the big thing for me is that it just feels like the old adage that we hear in boxing of matchups make fights. It's really been taking hold much more this year than in past years because there just aren't the dominant teams like we've seen in the past. Typically, you've got a team like a Gonzaga that's number one. Typically, we've seen it a few years ago with like that Zion Williamson Duke team. There is none of that this year. We do have some teams that have been nice. Like I really like what I'm seeing out of Purdue. Alabama starting to rise up. Even with the loss against Temple, I still think that this is a Houston team that's going to be rock solid when it's all said and done. But as I said, all of these teams have warts. And I think that taking a look at these matchups themselves is just so important because there is no team where they could just roll the ball out there and expect to win. It's going to take strategy and it's going to take taking a look at the ins and outs of these teams because it feels like so many of them are just so equally matched. It's really been great, especially in, in the conferences themselves. There's a few probably like runaway teams that are, are just maybe having a little bit of their way with the division, but not in like the major conferences, not even in the real mid-major conferences. We see a lot of really nice home court defenses from underdogs or I guess Vegas underdogs. It's it's almost hard to use the word like upset in some of these situations, right? And we see a lot of difference from past years with like AP teams going down. We're recording this on a Monday, so obviously the polls a little fresh in my head, but there's definitely some teams that are winning that people don't expect. We're seeing Clemson lead the ACC. I think that's pretty crazy this year. So there's a lot of parity, right? There's a lot of teams that it feels like everyone can compete. A lot of these conferences, the titles feel as open as ever. The, the tournaments feel as open as ever. Seeding feels as important as ever. You're going to want to avoid the better teams in your conference when it comes down to try to get that auto bid for the big dance. I can't wait for this month of February. I mean, some of these conferences that peter out a little bit as we get towards the end because it feels so decided, I feel like you're going to just be, you know, heavy hitting, like you said, right in the ring, basically through the end of next month. Yep, it is so great. And what I think is terrific as well is that so many of these conferences, they've got so many equally matched teams. Like there are some slugs out there, but even some of the slugs, like a Minnesota out there in the Big Ten, they've been providing some 
resistance recently. Louisville's been able to make you some money if you've been taking a look at them against the spread. And how much are you taking a look at some of these teams that they had rough starts to the year? Like Cal, I recognize that they got completely dump trucked on Sunday against Oregon State, but they were able to rise up for a few wins. I just mentioned Louisville. They're not getting straight up wins, but they've been able to provide some covers. And I think that these are some of the most intriguing teams. Teams that they started out relatively rough, but they've been able to rise up and they've been able to play a little bit better here in the month of January. Yeah, there's definitely been some progression, I would say, in terms of what we expect to see from some of the bottom teams, some of these better teams maybe falling off a little bit. We look at like UConn having a tough time in conference after having an easy run in the non-con schedule. It's not exactly like easy to predict right now because things are definitely up and down. But, you know, we're definitely seeing some progression from the bottom teams, you know, the Louisvilles covering in conference, getting these big numbers because everyone's down on them. Or or maybe we're seeing teams that like, you know, are kind of at the top, like, you know, maybe like an Arizona who, I mean, they've been covering, but they've also been very susceptible for a team in the top 10 to not covering those big spreads. I don't know. I love to see it. I mean, it makes actually watching the games a lot more fun because it feels like the favorite in the game can go down on any given night. Nothing's safe. And I mean, especially in some of like the lesser watched conferences too. I mean, shout out to the Mountain West. There is some really great basketball being played there. I don't think anyone wants to see a Mountain West team come tournament time. Some of the cream of the crop teams from the smaller conferences too. Just the quality of basketball is great. And that just means that you're really going to see an exemplification of the variance in the game that like one team can just be off one night and lose to anyone. And then the same team the next night can be on and beat anyone. Crazy task to predict, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. Oh, I agree with you. It can be maddening at times, but at the same time, that is a little bit of the fun of it. As we do have Justin Perry, who does great work over at Jock Quality Bets, joining me on the podcast and We're talking about conference play quite a bit, and what I think is just so interesting is taking a look at the Big 12 because night in and night out, it's a gauntlet. I don't know if you can remember a conference that is just so equal, that has so many great teams, but this Big 12, just night in and night out, it's an absolute war, and I do think that there's a lot of value on these underdogs. Like Right now, I'm seeing an eight-point line between Oklahoma State and Texas, and in this conference, I don't know if you could really be putting any team at this point as an eight-point underdog in almost any circumstance just because all these teams, if you take a look at it, they're so equally matched, and so many losses are coming in like one- to two-possession games against other really good teams within this conference. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen that in the last couple of games, right? I mean, you look at just this year alone, I'm I'm just running the numbers really quick right now, underdogs of six or more in the Big 12 are are nine and one. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot in terms of covering they aren't winning the games but in the 10 games where you are getting an underdog of like three plus baskets in the big 12 you probably want to be looking at them it's been really tough i mean the only one that hasn't actually covered was baylor when they beat oklahoma state that was the only one but every other time we've had a spread above six points in the big 12 you probably want to get those points because these games are so close it's great to see i mean it's the most fun conference in the game right now you just don't know what's going to happen on any given night and that gives the points a lot more value than they have maybe elsewhere it's been a good one i definitely enjoy it and we have some great big 12 play coming up on tuesday of course i'm really excited for some of the big games that we have i mean kansas state iowa state just sort of pops into my head it's going to be a crazy environment iowa state you know expected to win by like five or six points kind of starts to make you think, right? I mean, I feel like Kansas State's going to be popular. I don't know how you feel about that game. 
I think it's a really interesting game as well. And I do think the Kansas State is going to be popular because right now they are the team that's at the top of the conference standings. And I'm not sure what you made out of this game, but I think that it's going to be a low-scoring defensive game because that's what we've been seeing all year long from Iowa State. They've done a good job of just being able to jam teams up, do a really good job with their defense. I set this line at four personally with Iowa State being a favorite at four and a half, I'd be willing to start to take a nibble, especially at five. I'd be willing to take the points with Kansas State. We have been seeing these underdogs do a relatively solid job, but I really do have a lot of respect for what Iowa State has been able to do. And any road win in the Big 12, I think, should be treated like gold because, I mean, these Big 12 teams have just been so equally matched. And I do think that the difference can be the travel that you got and these ruckus home court environments like you see with Hilton Magic, like you see with the Octagon of Doom, Fog Allen, Fieldhouse, you're able to go down the list. Yeah, for sure. It is really going to be very interesting uh, for them playing in Iowa. That is just a great environment. I feel like we might even see some tents popping out before this one tonight. Wouldn't be shocked. That's how hard they go out there. But really interesting to see that Iowa State is the number one rated defense on shot quality. It's not particularly close. So they allow an expected 0.83 points per possession on defense. (laughs) Pretty crazy. The next best team in the country is going to be UCLA at 0.88 and then 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.9. So like that jump from 0.83 to the 0.88, 0.89 is pretty massive. There's most defenses that are good. And then there's how Iowa State has been playing in terms of the shots they're limiting opponents to. And that's what we love to see in terms of, of the shot quality. They don't exactly take the best looks, but they rely so much on their defense. Only 78th in offense in the in the nation, according to SQ. But, you know, that 14-4 and four record still looks pretty good. We expect them at 13-5. and five. Just a few, you know, wins that maybe weren't exactly as they should be. We did actually have them beating Oklahoma State and Kansas on the shot quality score. So if you go by our records, they actually should not have lost since the turn of the calendar. Pretty crazy. And they won that Baylor game, which we had as a loss. But I love that about shot quality, really being able to see like what maybe should have happened based on the shots. And Iowa State, man, if you like the predictive analytics, we are definitely predicting them to be a really tough team. No team in the country forces more defensive turnovers. They're super efficient in transition off of them. They have the passing to get it done and they clean up on the offensive boards. So teams end up having to shoot a lot of threes from deep and they don't always go down. And it really comes down to some of that variance. So if you think Kansas State hits their shots, you can probably take them. But I tend to lean towards the home team here, playing the defense, targeting the back of Kansas State, who wasn't really expected to be leading the pack right now, would not be shocked to see a multiple possession loss handed to Kansas State by Iowa State. This one is such an interesting game, in my opinion. Then the other one in the Big 12 that really catches my attention, as we do have Justin Perry of Shot Quality Bets joining me on the podcast, is TCU versus Oklahoma. With TCU, they're a six-and-a-half-point favorite, which I think is relatively correct. I set TCU as a seven-point favorite personally. I do have Oklahoma State as one of the lesser teams out in the Big 12, but what I think is interesting is a total of 138 because I think that this total is too high. TCU has been playing amazing defense. Their three-point shooting leaves quite a bit of something to be desired. Maybe they've gotten a little bit unlucky with their three-point shooting, but this is not a team that's going to be going out there and bombing it from three-point range by any stretch of the imagination. Going up against one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball in Oklahoma. This is a spot where I'm really taking a look at an under. I'm not sure what you make out of this game, but if I'm looking at anything in this spot, I think that a total 
is something that could be very beneficial. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. The shot quality model strongly, strongly agrees with you in terms of how the pace of this one is going to be. We have this game coming in at 126 points, 62.5 to 63.5 in favor of Oklahoma. Pretty interesting projection here from the SQ bets model, but what you can definitely take away is a strong edge on the under. And I tend to agree this game has a real potential to slow down Oklahoma, especially 340th in tempo. They're pretty efficient, but you know, they don't force a lot of defensive turnovers. They aren't exactly going to like score second chance points. And that's exactly what you want for an under, right? You want to make sure that when a team misses the other teams going up the court and getting into their offense. And then you look at how Oklahoma's defense has been. Oklahoma State put up a good amount of points on them, but even games like what the West Virginia win and even like the Iowa State win, the Texas win, they they do limit teams to a pretty solid point total and they don't get very far themselves. I mean, if we look at how they're playing in the conference right now, um, they aren't necessarily all that strong in any one area. They're pretty good at everything, but the defense leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. I think the under is definitely the play. 64-62 type of score would not shock me. Both these teams are going to want this win. It's going to be a grinded out game. It's everything you want from the Big 12, and unders definitely feel like the way to go for me with this one. Absolutely. And with TCU, just one of the best offensive teams in all of college basketball. So they really stand out to me. And in terms of the Tuesday card, is there anything else that really stands out to you? Because I know that you mentioned the Mountain West. We got a few of those games. Not a lot of the marquee teams other than Boise State who's taken on one of the lesser teams out in the Mountain West, to say the least, in Fresno State, a team that's been dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. But that said, anything else really standing out to you in terms of Tuesday's games? I've been enjoying playing some of these MAAC games. You know, the A-10 has been another one that I've enjoyed. I think we're getting a little bit of A-10, a little bit of MAC as well, single A. Mac. In terms of what I'm probably looking at, I think, you know, we just saw Kent State get a, a bunch of votes for the top 25 with how they're playing. They're going on the road against this Northern Illinois team. I'm a little bit suspect of such a big line here for Kent State on the road. I think Northern Illinois, you know, is maybe playing a little bit better and, and no one's really too sure of it. I mean, beating Miami, Ohio on the road, beating Central Michigan, they probably should have done that. But like even competing with Eastern Michigan, I don't know if they're going to just lay down. I think they have a lot of good momentum and you don't see that a lot out of this Northern Illinois team. I might be taking the points, but I'll probably also go back to one of my favorite teams in Davidson. I think they've played a lot better than their ratings uh, suggest. Something I really like doing is, is comparing the ratings between some of the models that you know we kind of know set these lines versus what shot quality has and Davidson is one of those teams that consistently you know has has looked pretty good in the shot quality rankings we have them at about 110th in the ratings right now which is pretty up there and LaSalle who they face off against is still pretty far down so I think the you know expected efficiency for Davidson is higher than what we've been seeing so I would not be shocked to see them have a little bit of a a get right game against LaSalle who St. Louis beat by 13 and who St. Joseph's beat by 12 and who even like Fordham was able to handle. So I like the spot for Davidson. They definitely need this win. The A-10 is pretty competitive. They're sitting at eight and 10 on the season. They have four straight losses and all four were shot quality wins. This is crazy. All six of their last losses 
have been shot quality wins. So they're in a good spot. They're underperforming. This is probably a nice place to jump on Davidson and expect them to beat a lesser LaSalle team. Yeah, and Davidson last year shot over 38% from three. They've got a lot of the same core from last year. They did lose a few guys. Hunjun Lee being out of the fold, obviously, hurt Davidson. But they're shooting 31% from three this year. And we've seen Foster Lawyer be way off his game in the last few. I would not be yeah. surprised if... He is able to bounce back, have a relatively big I'm game seeing against LaSalle. At 29.5% right now, 340th in three-point percent. So that's pretty crazy. Shot quality expects that to be 33%. So three and a half percentage points better shooting on pretty heavy volume. You know, they have actually pulled back on that volume this season because I don't think it's going as well, but like they're just due to light up a game. It's Davidson. They're going to get those threes to start falling. They have the size inside. I've been pretty impressed with Menenga and Bailey, even though he's a little young, looks pretty good. They have the guys who get time inside. Their guards have the offensive efficiency and, you know, the effective field goal percentage to get this done if they start to progress to the norm. I like betting on Davidson after a tough, tough start to A-10 play. I don't know if you're going to get you know, better value on them than you will right now. With Davidson, it's been so intriguing to watch them. And really, the entire Atlantic 10 has been full of disappointments. What Dayton has mm-hmm. had to endure this season along with St. Louis, we were expecting much more out of them. But a man that always lives up to expectations, a man that always delivers no matter the circumstance, that'd be you, Justin. You do amazing work over there at Shock Quality Bets, taking a look at this game that we love from a little bit of a different perspective. You do a great job of unearthing things that you can't find just scrolling through, taking a look at a game cast slash a box score. You do a great job just taking a look at all this data, doing a great job of being able to pair numbers with what we are actually seeing out there on the court. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, what we do over at Shot Quality really is trying to put the eye test into numbers. And you can check that out at shotqualitybets.com. We have a lot of different services from just our projection model to a slew of different tools. And right now, actually, if you go and you check out our projection model, you can use our brand new tool. We made a custom model builder. It's pretty crazy. It uses shock quality data to you know linearly regress to this year's season and project games forward based on the most efficient combination. But you know if that type of stuff interests you. Expected statistics, trying to get you know maybe not so deep into like recency and results bias shot quality is bringing that type of you know advanced look into the game to basketball and I just appreciate getting the chance to come and chat about it Greg and Justin does an absolutely amazing job taking a look at this game that we all love and it has been a very fascinating year to save least in college basketball one where we don't necessarily have that set number one team but we do have a number one man when it comes to providing great insights on this podcast and that would be Justin Always great to be able to get him aboard. Big thanks to Justin Perry of Shock Quality Best for joining me on Coast to Coast Seeps. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid back appeal and down home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid back appeal and down home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peters. And now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It's always great to be joined by Justin Perry. He does tremendous work over there at Shock Quality Bets and Shock Quality Bets. Man, they are revolutionizing the way that we take a look at college basketball. It's so different to be able to take a look at that as compared to just a normal box score. And there's certain things that you can certainly pick up from a normal box score. But that said, to be able to get that deep dive like they've been doing over there at Shot Quality Bets, it's really, really awesome. They do amazing work, and it's always great to get the insights of Mr. Perry. A big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis for every single game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore D1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and this is merely just time order because we do not have any extra games, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy, and it does begin with this first game of 601-602 on the betting board. Penn State hits the road to face off against Rutgers. Rutgers is a favorite of five points in your total on this game. It is anywhere between 129 and 129.5. I saw Rutgers as a six-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the five with Rutgers. They do just such a tremendous job with their defense. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, a top 15 team in all of college basketball. Really, they've allowed north of 70 points, I believe, twice all season long. This team has really been able to bear down. They've done incredible work just being able to hit the glass with Cliff Amarui, being able to give you a double-double. He's been chipping in there all season long right around 13 points, 10 boards, 2 blocks per contest, but what really makes a team special is all the turnovers that they're able to generate. You've got Cam Spencer and Caleb McConnell combining for 5 steals per game. McConnell gives you 10 points, 4 boards, 3.3 assists. Spencer shoots 44% from 3 with 13.5 points, 3.5 assists. These guys have been absolutely terrific. And then you've got some like an Andre Hyatt, 9 points. Doesn't necessarily shoot it great from 3. This is a Rutgers team that you know, shoot about 31.5% from distance, but they do a great job of being able to guard the arc as well. And that is a big thing because this is a Penn State team that they fire on all cylinders from 3 point range with Jalen Pickett leading the way. He deserves recognition as an All-American, by the way. 17.5 points, 8 boards, 7 assists. Shoots 35% from 3. Seth Lundy, Andrew Funk, they bring the funk. They both shoot north of 42% from 3, combined for 26.8 points. Lundy chips in their 6 rebounds per game, but... Who's going to match up with Cliff Amarui? You've got Kiba Njai, who's able to give you 3.5 rebounds per game. He's got a little bit of size. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Caleb Dorsey, but it's not like he's been too tremendous either. This Penn State team is not going to be a matchup down low. We've seen it in their games against the likes of Purdue, where they're able to hang in there against these big men for a half, but then that second half takes hold, and then boom, it just turns into a little bit of a breakaway. And for Penn State, they do leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense and they very much do rely upon that three-point shot in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. It is a Penn State team that ranks 145th with them going up against a Rutgers team that guards the arc the way that they do. And Rutgers at home, in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they are currently the number three team in all of college basketball, lying 76 
point seven points per 100 possessions i do think that Rutgers going to be able to get their style i think that they're going to cut off the arc in this game made Rutgers a six point favorite i'm going to be willing to lay it i foresee a low scoring game involving two teams ranked outside the top 200 in terms of possessions per game so by total 126 also diving under 603 604 on the betting board miami of ohio it's a road face off against akron akron is a 13 and a half point favorite with your total 141 and a half to 142 with akron i set them as a 12 point favorite going to be looking to take the 13 and a half with Miami of Ohio. Akron does a very solid job of being able to make things very slow, very grimy over the last two seasons. This has been a team that has really throttled down their tempo. A team that in terms of total possessions per game this season, they're currently ranking right in the neighborhood about 240th. Meanwhile, they go up against Miami of Ohio team that now being coached by Travis Steele, they have cranked things up right around 85th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. And no shocker here, you do have a team in Miami of Ohio leaving something to be desired on defense. Points a lot on a per possession basis, around 47th. Meanwhile, Akron in the top 40 with that regard with Akron having the best score in this game is Xavier Casaneda. 20 points, 4.5 rebounds, 3 assists, shoots 37.5%. From three-point range, and Enrique Freeman, double-double machine, 14 points and a half rebounds per game. Don't have a lot outside of that. Greg Tribble has been able to chip in their seven points per contest. Trent Hankerson, nine points, four and a half rebounds. She's in the mid-30s from three-point range. And for Miami of Ohio, Morgan Safford and Mikai Larry is a very good scoring duo. About 32 and a half points per game out of these two gentlemen. Safford chips in their six boards. They both shoot right around 34 and a half percent from three. And it's a Miami of Ohio team that does a good job of being able to get to the free throw line. And they drain 78.8% of their free throws, which I think is very beneficial. And then past that, you've got some like a Billy Smith who shoots 38 and a half percent from three. Seven points per contest. Julian Lewis is now back in the fold. It's not necessarily been himself since getting injured earlier in the season, but eight points, four boards, former starter at William and Mary. I do think that this is going to be a rather throttle down game. It's Miami of Ohio bunch that they've been able to hang in there in most of their games. They have lost just one out of their last five games by double figures. So, I mean, it's not like they're getting completely bludgeoned in these games. Now, defensively, Miami of Ohio certainly leaving something to be desired, giving up 75-plus points in each out of their last four contests. But, that said, this is also an Akron team that they have scored 74 points or fewer in four of their last five games, considering this is a MAC where you don't necessarily have a ton of great defenses. That is a little unsightly now with Akron as well. 70 points or fewer surrender in every single game this count year. So, good old situation of something's got to give. I did sell my total at 140. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slowdown game. You do have a Miami of Ohio team that I don't think that they're going to get as many trips to the free throw line as normal. This is a pretty balance and this is a pretty disciplined Akron team. So, going to be taking a look at the under in this spot. I think it's just going to be difficult for Akron to be able to win by this kind of a margin, even with having the best rebounder in this game in Enrique Freeman. So, my number at 12, I'm going to be looking to take the points and I'm going to be diving under 605, 606 on the betting board. Ohio plays host to Western Michigan. Western Michigan is a 10 to 10 and a half point underdog. Jordan's game is 148 to 148 and a half with Western Michigan. Set them as an 11 point underdog. So, 10 and a half is a max I'm going to be willing to with Ohio, but I'm going to be willing to lay it because they're going up against a Western Michigan team that they're in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game. They play at a relatively slow pace, and they play no defense. Western Michigan, 351st in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, this is an Ohio team that they rank 250th themselves, but take a look at what they've been able to do at home. 
giving up 15.4 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are in their friendly confines rather than when they are on the road. And this is an Ohio team that has been cranking up their tempo. They rank right around 110th in terms of total possessions per game, and they should be able to control the glass with Dwight Wilson the third, 14.5 points, 9.9 rebounds per game. And then you add A.J. Clean, 8.5 points, 5.8 boards. Shoots in the mid-30s from three. Ohio's whole. They shoot 36.7% from three now. For Western Michigan, they do have someone in Marquise Hastings that is able to give you 8 points and 10 rebounds per game, and... Lamar Durbin Jr. is able to take over a game with his scoring. 18 points, 3 assists, shoots 37% from 3 for a Western Michigan team that they shoot about 34.5% from distance. Trey Maddox was banged up towards the beginning part of the season. He has been able to put up some good numbers overall this season with 11.2 points per contest, but 11 points or fewer in each of the last four games. He seems to be experiencing a little bit of fall-off. You've been able to get about 7 points out of Javon Hanna, who shoots 36% from 3-point range, but he's very streaky as well. And for Western Michigan, I mean, I laid out the fact that the defense has been bad, but I mean, it's just all over the place at this point. In their last 5 games, they've given up 102, 79, 92, 71, and 63 points. I mean, there is no consistency whatsoever with this team. Meanwhile, for Ohio, same thing goes for them. In their last 5 games, they've given up 88, 71, 70, 90, and 68 points. It's a pair of relatively all-or-nothing teams, and I do think that as a result, you've got to be taking a little bit of a middle-ground approach because you can see both of these teams explode for north of 80. You could see a 70-65 to 65 slobber knocker bust out as well, but I do think that for Ohio, they do have more pieces in this game. You've got a pair of guys in Jalen Hunter, coupled with A.J. Brown, that both give you 10 points per contest. Hunter, 4 assists, 1.6 yields, shoots 36% for 3, and Miles Brown is shooting 49% from 3 power range. You just have more depth with this Ohio team, and you got more ways to be able to win and win comfortably, so I did set Ohio as an 11-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay 10.5 at the very most with them, but willing to lay the current number. Did sell my total at one 47. As I mentioned, Western Michigan, one of the slower teams in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game in Ohio, significantly better at home with their defense than on the road. So, looking at the under and willing to lay up to 10.5 with Ohio. 6-7, 6-8 on the main board. Bowling Green, it's road face off against Central Michigan. This is a pick'em game and your total is anywhere between 147.5 and 148. I made Bowling Green the three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line as an underdog. Central Michigan is right now experiencing Murphy's Law. They're dealing with all sorts of injuries Jesse Zarzula did not play in the team's last game, and he is the top scorer for this team with 16 points per contest, and when they did not have Jesse Zarzula in the fold on Saturday, they lost to Ohio by a count of 96-68. It's a Central Michigan team that honestly does rank at the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're a top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game, but they really don't have a lot of flow on offense in that game that they did not have Zarzula. Brian Taylor had to do everything. He had 27 points, and overall for the season, has been able to deliver 14 and points, six half boards per contest, but this is a Central Michigan team that is currently shooting 28.3% from three. That's a bottom 20 mark in all of college basketball. Taylor is the only guy on this roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game, and Bowling Green just flat out has more weapons. I recognize that they're on the road, but you've got a few trio of guys in Samari Curtis, Rashawn Ag, Caden Menethy that have all been able to give you between 11.1 and 11.7 points per game. Ag gives you six half rebounds per game. Menethy shoots 43% from three. Curtis chips in there 4.3 assists to fewer than three turnovers per game. And then you've got that takeover score in Leon Ayers the third. 3.3 assists, 4.3 rebounds, 18 and a half points, shooting 37.5% from three. Bowling Green as a whole, they shoot 35% from three. Now, unlike Central Michigan, Bowling Green is the opposite. Relatively solid on offense. 
Defense leaves a lot to be desired in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is a Bowling Green team that they're clocking in 303rd in the country in this regard. And you do have a Bowling Green team that they're looking to push some pace as well. Really, both of these teams are. I mentioned it with Central Michigan, 65th in terms of total possessions per game. Bowling Green slower than last year because Bowling Green last year was a top-10 team in terms of tempo. They're 54th. I think that's Arzula being out of the fold. It's going to be hurting the Central Michigan team on defense, but on top of that, their offense didn't necessarily seem to have a lot of flow in. This is a Central Michigan team that in regulation, because they did have a game go to overtime against Buffalo in which they scored 17 points in overtime. They've scored 70 points or fewer in regulation in each of their last six games. Meanwhile, you've got a Bowling Green team that's gone to at least 70 in each of their last five games, and they've given up at least 70 in each of their last five games. So, a very unique circumstance here. I did set my total at 145. I do think that for the Zarzula injury, it takes more of the Central Michigan offense than it does the defense. I do think that that is very impactful on Bowling Green. Just has more options as a whole, and I do think that Bowling Green is going to be able to control things down low with AG. So, I set Bowling Green as a three-point favorite, taking them on this pick line, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 609-69 on the main board. LaSalle plays close to Davidson. Davidson is a three to three and a half point favorite, and your total is 139.5 with Davidson. I set them as a three-point favorite, so with LaSalle, three and a half is my buy point on them. For LaSalle, it has been a relatively rough year for them, but they're starting to get some good numbers out of Khalil Bryant Lee. He's been able to give the team 14.4 points, 5 rebounds, 4.1 assists per contest. He's done a good job with at least 4 assists in each of the last 5 games. He's averaging right around 3 turnovers in this time span, but has been able to generate 8 steals in the last 3 games as well, so he's doing a nice job of helping this team out. You need to get more out of the Drame brothers as Fusani and Asandrame. They're currently a combined average 16 points. 9.7 rebounds to come over from St. Peter's, and they're both shooting about 25.5% from three-point range. For a LaSalle team that they shoot 32% from three-point range, and for LaSalle, defense has been leaving something to be desired in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 225th. These are two mid-tempo teams. They're not necessarily looking to play fast. They're not necessarily looking to play slow, but for Davidson, they've had their struggles on defense 187th in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game Foster Lawyer going to be the best scorer in this game but for Foster Lawyer, it's been a rough go of it from recently. Approximately 7 points in 3 out of the last 4 games for this team. He had 9 turnovers and 7 points in that loss against VCU. For Davidson, things have went straight down the toilet bowl for them. They have lost really 4 straight games when Foster Lawyer has been out there on the floor and they have failed to get past the 65 point plateau in each of their last three games. They've held their opponent to 70 points or fear in four of their last five games, but they've only won one of them. So, that is quite troubling for this Davidson team. You got Sam Menenga, who's been able to give you 15 points, 7.5 boards, shoots right around 34.5% for three, and that's a big thing for Davidson. Last year, they were a top 25 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They're shooting 30.8% from three-point range this season. They don't necessarily have great flow on offense, and they just don't have a lot of ancillary pieces. You get 10 points per game out of Desmond Watson, but he's shooting about 30% from three-point range. You don't get a lot down low. Menenga is the only guy that gives you north of 4.7 rebounds per game, and Lawyer Menenga, the only guys that give you north of four boards per contest, which should allow LaSalle to be functional in this game. You got Jamari Brickus along with Anwar Gill. They do a good job as versatile pieces, combining for 18.5 points, a little bit over five assists, 
assists, two and a half steals per contest, and Brakis shoots 44% from three. Anything north of three, I'm going to be willing to take the points with LaSalle against a very much struggling Davidson team. Now, LaSalle, they enter having lost three straight games as well, and the defense hasn't been, been bad for them. They've given up at least 70 points in far of their last five games, so a situation of something's got to give. Set Davidson as a three-point favorite. Three and a half is my buy point on LaSalle, and I did set my total at 137. A pair of mid-tempo teams are, are having a tough time putting the ball in the basket, looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at anything north of three with LaSalle. 6'11", 6'12", on the betting board. Miami is going to be hitting the red face off against Florida State. The Seminoles are a 4 to 4 and a half point underdog. Totals between 150 and 151, and for Miami, I did set them as a 3 and a half point favorite. We'll take 4 and a half with Florida State. Florida State has been able to cover 7 out of their last 10 games. They've really been able to turn the corner, and they're coming off of a nice road win over the weekend against Pittsburgh. All of a sudden, this team has been able to find something, and what they've been able to find out is that someone who we thought was a little bit of a busteroni. Okay, maybe not we, but someone who I thought was a little bit of a busteroni towards the beginning part of his college basketball career has been able to rise up and has been able to deliver now nine straight double-doubles. As you've got Matthew Cleveland, who has been completely dominant for this team. His double-double streak came to an end in the last game against Pittsburgh, but still had 11 points, eight rebounds for the season. He's shooting 43% for three with 14.3 points, eight boards per contest as a six-foot-seven versatile player. And then on top of that, you've got in the backcourt, Darren Green Jr. and Cam Mills. Mills is your main floor general, 13 points, three and a half assists, one and a half seals. Doesn't shoot a great from three. Green is your designated three-point shooter, shooting 42% from three, 90% the free throw line with 14 and a half points, two assists per game. Florida State does not have the same depth that they typically do. Jalen Worley has still been able to give you four assists, a steal per game. You're getting about eight points per contest, throwing there about three and a half boards out of Cam Corn as well, but they're finding a way to make it work. And for Miami, this defense has been relatively brutal recently in terms of points allowed on a per-possession base. It is a Miami bunch that they're not generating the same amount of steals as last year, and as a result, they're 164th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, I will say. Their defensive efficiency is pretty much the same home to road, so a little bit of credit there. Isaiah Wong, like Justin Miller, they combined for 31.5 points, just over 10.5 rebounds per game, and they both shoot 35% for three-point range, and they combine for three steals per game. No Chad Omir, double-double machine, 13.5 points, 10.5 rebounds per game, should be the best little post presence in this game, but even though he's shooting 38% for three. You expected a little bit more than 12 points to two and a half assists per game out of Nigel Peck. Arnold Beverly has had a couple nice moments this year, but he's only averaging right around three and a half points per game. He's been very hit or miss as well. And for Miami, they have now allowed at least 72 points in far of their last five games. Lone exception is when they could only get to 66 points against Duke. And Florida State stepped up with their defense. 71 points of fierce surrender in four of their last five games. Scoring is there for them. They have scored at least 70 in four out of their last five. So things are on the upswing for Florida State. And I do think that they're going to be able to hang in there against a Miami team that left a lot to be desired in terms of just their defense. Both of these teams not necessarily playing at a super fast pace. Neither of these teams playing at a super slow pace. Florida State right around 180th in terms of total possessions per game. Miami more around 185th. So I do think that this is a total that is starting to get a little bit too lofty. I did set my total at a 145.5. So seeing this now approaching 150, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And with Miami, 
Could only make them a three and a half point favorite. So here at four and a half, going to be taking a look at the points. 613, 614 on the betting board. You've got Notre Dame on the road facing off against NC State. NC State, a seven and a half to an eight and a half point favorite with your total 146. I did set my total at a 145. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under. You've got a Notre Dame team that has, without question, been lacking a lot on defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This is a Notre Dame team that's clocking in at 320th. With that said, though, you've actually got an NC State team that's now in the top 80 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They have been much better this year in Notre Dame. They're in 37th in the country in terms of possessions per game in a road or neutral court environment. They actually play even slower than that as well. They're a bottom 20 team in terms of possessions per game when they are away from home. Meanwhile, it's an NC State team that they're playing rather vigorously, more around 67th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But that said, with NC State, I set them as a 9-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. There's no reason to back off on the Notre Dame fades at this point. 3-16-1 against the spread. They have been mispriced all season long. And their last cover came against Jacksonville. That was a game in which it was very nip and duck, and then they pull away very, very late. So they needed a rather Herculean comeback to be able to cover that game. Ingleshevsky has been solid for this Notre Dame team. 14 points, 7 half boards. She's 42.5% from 3 and Notre Dame is whole. They're shooting 37.5% from the outside. J.J. Starlin, Dane Goodwin, they combined for 24 points with Goodwin shooting 40% from three-point range. Trey Wirtz is able to give you three and a half assists per game, and Notre Dame doesn't turn the ball for a lot. Nine turnovers per contest, so even though they don't play with a lot of possessions, they're able to make the most of them, and they've been very consistent with their scoring. In their last four games, they have scored... 71, 72, and 73 points twice. So you know what you're going to be able to get out of this Notre Dame team on offense. Meanwhile, for NC State, they've been pretty consistent on offense as well. At least 73 points in four out of their last five games. They're not really a team that has one off for absolutely massive performances. They have scored between 69 and 76 points in really all but two of their last eight games. So you sort of know that range that you're going to be in for NC State. They've done a good job of being able to put the clamps down on defense. So they did have a game against Miami go to overtime. And in that overtime game, they give it up 73 points in regulation. So they've given up 73 or fewer in four out of the last five games in regulation. And you've got Jarkel Joyner along Traquavian Smith who have done a good job of really leading the way in terms of this offense. They combined for 35 points, 8 boards, 8 assists, 3 steals. They both shoot about 325 to 34% from 3-point range. DJ Burns has been very solid in the starting rotation at the forward spot as he's contributing nearly 5 boards, 10.5 points per game began in the season on the bench. And he's got good handles for a big man. Last 3 games, they combined 10 assists in these and he's been able to give the team double figures in each of the last 5 contests as well. They're still without Tucson Marosic but it's not hurt them at all because They've got a good designated rebounder who's giving you only about 1.9 points, but four and a half rebounds per game. And Greg Gant. Gant has been able to do a solid job hauling in there at least five rebounds in each of the last five games. And then Casey Marcel shoots 45% from three-point range for NC State, an NC State team that they're only turning the ball over 10 and a half times per game, considering the amount of possessions that they play in, in a game. That is very rock solid. I do think that NC State is going to be able to take advantage of this Notre Dame team, but Notre Dame, I think he's going to have a little bit of a tough time putting the ball in the basket against an NC State team as much improved on defense this season. I did set my total at 145. I just don't think you get enough possessions with the way that Notre Dame plays to be able to get in over in this spot. So looking at the under, and Notre Dame has not been covering spreads all season long. I think that they are going to struggle very much with the athleticism of NC State. So NC State is a nine-point favorite. So 
Laying up to 8.5 with NC State and taking a look at the under 615, 616 on the betting board. Illinois It's going to be playing Ohio State. The Ohio State University is between a 3.5 and a 4-point underdog and your total between 145 and 145.5 for Illinois. Set them as a 4-point favorite. So, mostly seeing 3.5 out there. 3.5 is the max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Fighting Illini. It's an Illinois team that has been headlined by TJ Shannon doing a tremendous job chipping in their 18 points, 5.5 boards, seal and a half per game for an Illinois team that has been really good on defense at home. In a road and neutral court environment, it's left a little bit of something to be desired, but overall for the season, Illinois 14th in the country turns points a lot on a per possession basis, and just take a look at the way that they have been more dominant at home. Giving up 15.7 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road for Iowa State. It's not like the defense has been horrible. They're 80th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but in a road slash neutral court environment, giving up 14.1 points more per 100 possession. So that is a bit of an issue. And for Illinois, Matthew Meyer being able to take off has been big for this team. He's coming off of a big giant clunker against Indiana. He had scored in double figures in eight out of the last nine games prior to that. He puts up a big old goose egg. I do think that he is going to be able to pick it back up once again. Six foot nine Cowboy player that's been able to shoot 37% for three now. If you do have trepidations with flying the summer with Illinois, it is the fact that they shoot 65.3% at the free line. But Dane Danger, Coleman Hawkins, these two guys, they combine for 20 points, 12 rebounds. Hawkins ships in their three assists as a six foot ten, a little bit of a combo player. Both of these guys give you a little bit over a block per contest. And Jalen Epps, he's been able to give you nine and a half points per game as well. That's been big with Sky Clark out of the fold and for Ohio State. You've got your two good freshmen, Bryce Sensabaugh, Bruce Thornton. Thornton has been able to give the team nine points, three boards, three assists, shoots 40% for three. And Sensabaugh, one of the best freshmen in the country, shooting 47.5% for three, six foot six combo player with five and a half boards, 17 and a half points per game. Just Zuing said Key combined for 25 points. Zeke Key is able to give you eight boards a block per game, so he's done a nice job on that front. But for Iowa State, they were able to get up off the mat. They took down Iowa 93 to 77 over the weekend, but they still have lost four out of their last five games. It's been less than savory for them on offense, scoring 67 points or fewer in three of their last four games, and that includes an overtime thrown in there. Meanwhile, for Illinois, they've been a constant on offense. Aside from that game against Indiana, this team has scored between 75 and 79 points, and now each out of their last four games other than that one clunker. And for Illinois, I do think that they're going to be able to rise back up once again. Defense has been relatively solid for them giving up 73 or fewer in five out of the last six games. So this is a circumstance where I do like Illinois to be able to bounce back at home. They've been really good with their defense at home. So I did set my total at 144, diving under with Illinois. One to lay up to three and a half with them. 617, 618 on the betting board. Missouri is on the road facing off against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is between a one and a half to a two-point favorite. Totals between 145 and 145 and a half. Battle of a very slow Ole Miss team and a super fast Missouri team. And I do think that Missouri is actually going to be able to win out with their tempo. I did set my total at 147.5. I'm looking over and with Missouri, I made them the 3.5 point favorite. Going to be taking them as a money line underdog. I recognize that it's tough to go on the road and win in the SEC, but this is just an Ole Miss team that is not providing much of anything. You have a Missouri team that I mentioned it. It's a little bit of a battle of the tortoise and the hare. They're 25th in the country in terms of total possessions per game going up against an Ole Miss team that they are 232nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but for Ole Miss, 
they are the better defensive team, but they still don't do a supreme job of being able to guard the three-point arc. They're 69th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Missouri, they are 215th, but for Ole Miss, you just need a little bit more top-end talent, in my opinion. Matthew Morrell is the only guy on the team that's giving you north of nine points per game. He's been solid. Two and a half assists, 15 points per game, but he only shoots 29.5% from three, and the way that Missouri has really been hurt is by allowing a lot of open threes, and Ole Miss, they shoot 30% from three-point range, and they've only got one player, that would be Miles Burns, giving you north of 5.1 rebounds per game. For Burns, 2.2 steals, which is rock solid, 6.4 points, 6.3 rebounds per game, so does a good job of stuff in the stat sheet, and they do now have Deshaun Ruffin back at full, who's been off and on injured all season long, and hasn't been himself. 8.5 points, Chips in there, three assists. She's less than 30% from three. Amari Abraham shot in the mid-30s from three-point range, eight points per game. JVS McKinnis is starting to give you some rebounds, but for Missouri, even though they don't have necessarily the world's greatest rebounding, you do have a pair of guys in Noah Carter along with Kobe Brown that combine for 10.5 rebounds per game. Brown has been able to chip in there 16 points per game, and Missouri does a good job of ripping the ball away. 11.5 seals per game against an Ole Miss team that, even with their slow tempo, about 13.5 turnovers per game for Missouri, they should have collected about 33.5% from three-point range. Jumoy Hoge is giving you 2.5 seals. He's able to chip in there 14 points per game, and just have good facilitation with this Missouri team. Four different guys giving you at least 2.4 assists per game, and Isaiah Mosley is back full as well. Returned against Arkansas and Alabama in these last two games. He's been able to contribute a combined 27 points. That is absolutely massive because I felt like he was the best player that Missouri got via the transfer portal. Him being able to take off, I do think, means that Missouri is going to be able to reach a little bit of a new level. It has been a rough stretch for Missouri. Losers of three out of the last four games, being held below 70 points in three of these games. But for Ole Miss, they have lost six out of their last seven games. Their offense has looked absolutely horrible. 70 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. They've been able to do a relatively solid job on defense, surrendering 70 points or fewer in four out of their last five. But I do think that this is going to be a circumstance where Missouri is going to be looking to set their tempo. I think that they're going to be able to do so. I think that this is a game that involves late game fouling as well. So I did set my total at a 147.5. I'm looking over. And with Missouri, I think that they're the superior team with much more depth. I set them as a three and a half point favorite. So taking Missouri as a money line underdog. And I'm going to be taking a look at this total over 619, 620 on the betting board. Arkansas plays those at LSU. LSU is a 12 and a half to a 13 point underdog. And your total on this game in between 139 and a half and 140 and a half. With Arkansas, I set them as a 12 point favorite. 13 is my buy point on LSU. After a relatively solid start to the season, things have went way downhill for this LSU team. They have lost six straight games, and I believe that they have failed to cover all but one of them. That game against Kentucky, they were able to cover that pass. That has not been a savory situation, but I do think that KJ Williams is going to be able to provide some matchup issues in this game. He's been able to register as a 6'10 couple player, 17.8 points, some boards, shooting 44% from three-point range. You're going up against an Arkansas team that ever since Trevon Brazil has been on the full They've had a little bit of a difficult time down low. Now, you do have the Mitchell brothers, as you've had Mikel Mitchell not be too terrific. Three and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game. Makai Mitchell, seven and a half points, five and a half boards with a block and a seal per game. He's been solid, but you've been really limited to just two main guards for this team. Ricky Council along with Anthony Black. Black is a good stat sheet stuffer. Twelve and a half points, five boards, four assists, one point seven seals. She's about thirty-one and a half percent for three. Ricky Council, seventeen points, two assists, seal and a half per game. For Arkansas, it's going to be hard for them to be able to win by differential, even though they have been a really good defensive team. It's an Arkansas team that turns the points a lot on a purpose 
possession basis. They are 22nd in the country, and at home, I mean, man, they are giving up about 19 points fewer per one hour possessions rather than when they are on the road. And this is an LSU team that they now rank 143rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. You just have absolutely no shooting whatsoever with this Arkansas team. Arkansas is shooting from three-point range about 29.5%, 318th in all of college basketball with this regard. And I know that LSU can be a little bit touch and go with their three-point shooting, but you do have a pair of guys that are able to do a nice job of being able to dole out the ball. Justice Hill, he's been able to do a solid job giving this team right around seven points, three and a half assists per game. And Trey Hannibal, only about six and a half points himself, but four and a half boards, two and a half assists. Nice set sheet suffers. Both of these guys shoot sub 30% from three, but for LSU, they actually shoot 38.4% from three in a road slash neutral court environment. At home, they've only been able to shoot about 31.5% from three. I find that to be intriguing, and it is an LSU team that they also do have a guy that I like, and Adam Miller has been able to give this team 12 points per contest. Cam Hayes has been a little bit hot and cold in terms of his production. 10 points or fewer in each of the last four games overall for the season. 8 points per contest, shooting 37% from three. Arkansas, they've had their warts as well, even though they're coming off of a win against Ole Miss. They've lost four out of their last five games. The defense has been beginning to fail them a little bit, giving up 72-plus points in four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, it's an LSU team. 66 points or fewer in each of their last five games. Good old situation of something's got to give. I did set my total at 142. I do think that you get a good amount of possessions in this game. I do think that LSU has a chance to be able to hang in there to the tune to where we see a little bit of late game following. And I do think that Arkansas going to look to ascend a little bit more with their offense against an LSU team that has not been able to guard their own shadow recently. So looking at the over with Arkansas, going to make them a 12-point favorite. So 12 and a half or more, going to be taking the points with LSU. 621-622 on the betting board. Georgetown is going to be playing us to DePaul. DePaul is a favorite of three points and your total is 147.5 to 148.5. With DePaul, I set them as a three and a half point favorite. Three is the max I'm willing to lay, but going to be willing to lay it. Hard to not have DePaul's favorite in this spot just because, I mean, it sounds like a really simple handicap, but Georgetown's last win against a Big East opponent came in the 2021 Big East Tournament. It's a Georgetown team that just has not been able to play any defense whatsoever. They are in the bottom 60 in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, they've got guys that are able to put the ball in the basket. Brandon Murray, Primo Spears. These are a pair of guys that will be able to combine for about 31.5 points, 7 rebounds. Spears gives you 5.5 assists, 1.3 seals per game. Murray shoots 37% from distance with 3.5 assists, seal per game. Kudus Wahab, a cook, a cook, combined for 14 boards, 17 and a half points, a cook, a cook, two blocks per game. This is a Georgetown team that they only shoot about 31.5% from three, but they've got some explosiveness on offense. They go up against a DePaul team that is outside the top 190 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but now they get killed. Murphy in the fold, he was a really good defender while he was at South Florida. He's been able to give the team 8.5 points in the two games that he has played in, so 17 points in total in the two games. Omaj Gibson, Javon Johnson, these have been your main headliners for DePaul, combining for 30.7 points. Gibson, 5 assists, 2.2 seals per game, shooting 39% from 3 and 91% free throw line. Johnson shoots 41% from 3 with about 2.5 assists as a six foot six. Nice combo player, and the guy that has really been able to suffer recently, Deshaun Nelson. Nelson has been able to give this team double figures in now each out of the last six games. He's been able to chip in their six plus rebounds in four out of the last six, as well as a six foot nine, a little bit of a do it all player. Shoots right around 33% from three. Might be closer to six foot eight, but still doing a really good job with his versatility. Errol Penn has been able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game, and 
Last time these two teams played, it was DePaul who got the job done. They were able to get the win. They were able to get the cover in December by a count of 83-76 to in that game. Georgetown went 7-14 from three-point range, but as I said, they allowed DePaul to go 11-22 from three. Georgetown just not guarding the arc to save their lives. They're not able to generate any turnovers. They lost that turnover battle 18-7. I don't think it's going to be quite that extreme in terms of the turnover battle, but DePaul was dealing with some injuries at the time, including not having out there on the floor Caleb Murphy, so I do think that that is going to cause for a little bit more defense on the DePaul side, but that said, until Georgetown is able to stop anyone, it's hard to believe that they're not going to give up what they have been recently, as they have given up at least 77 points in three of the last four games. If you want to date it back a little bit more, they've given up at least 77 points, and I believe now seven out of their last nine games, it has been unsightly bad for them. You've got a DePaul team that they themselves have allowed at least 70 points so far their last five games, but for DePaul, they've been able to get past the 70-point plateau in four out of their last six games as well. I did set my total at a 151.5. I think that you get a high-scoring game like much like we saw the last time around, but I do think that DePaul they're going to do an okay job on the glass, and once again, my live betting angle for Georgetown is going to come through. If Georgetown has a really bad first half, I'm willing to back them in the second half, because Georgetown, every single game, they play one good half. You don't know if it's going to be in the first half or the second half. Typically, it's been the first half, but that's not mutually exclusive, so I'm going to be gauging that. I'm going to have my live betting angle for Georgetown, but want to lay the three here with DePaul in this spot, and I'm going to be also taking a look at the total over in terms of the pre-flop betting. 623-624 on the betting board. Toledo is going to be playing us Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, an 18.5 point underdog, and your total 168 to as high as a 169.5. I set my total at a 166.5. You've got a pair of teams that are playing rather up-tempo. Toledo is in the top 35 in terms of possession of the square game. Eastern Michigan, not quite as fast, but they're right around 50th in terms of possessions per game. And these are two very grody defenses. Toledo turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis, 287th in Eastern Michigan. Somehow, someway, actually gets worse. 356th in the country for them. I just don't know if you have enough possessions to be able to get there. There's just, with totals, a little bit of a point of no return where you need to run really good for that total to go over. We saw that in the Toledo versus Buffalo game, even though both teams were relatively efficient in that game. That was a total that was very similar to this one. It crept under the total for Eastern Michigan. I just don't know if they're going to be able to hang close enough to where they get late game felling, so that way you can cash this over. Amani Bates has been able to give you 19 points, 5.5 boards. She's 34.5% from 3, but he has had some clunkers recently. A combined 34 points in the last three games, so we're seeing that starting to tail off just a little bit. Also for Eastern Michigan, you just don't have anything down low. And for Toledo, it's not like they're necessarily doing an amazing job on the glass, but Cedric Milner Jr. gives you 14 points, 6 rebounds per game, and this is a Toledo team that if you include the currently injured Tyler Cochran among your top six scores, they all give you at least 3.9 rebounds per game. And when it comes to Toledo, all of your top five scores shoot at least 35.3% per three with Ray J. Dennis, main point guard, chipping in their six assists, CLF, 18 and a half points per game. JT Schulmate at six foot seven, shoots 42% per distance, 18 points, five boards. You just have a lot of guys firing on all cylinders for the Toledo team, a Toledo team that has been able to get to at least 84 points in four of their last five games. Doesn't sound like a ton, but 
They have surrendered 75 points or fewer, and now four out of their last five games, so they've been able to do a little bit of a better job on that front end. I just don't know if Eastern Michigan holds up their end of the bargain. They haven't been able to get to 70 points in now five out of their last six games. Now, they're certainly giving up the points as they have surrendered at least 77 points in four out of their last six games, and they've given up at least 74 points in seven out of their last nine games, but it's an Eastern Michigan team that you don't have a lot outside of Imani Bates. You've got Tyson Acuff, no Farrakhan. They both give you 12.8 points per contest, but they also both shoot about 27.5% for three-point range. Eastern Michigan as a whole, they shoot 31% for the outside. They don't really turn the ball over a lot with 12 turnovers per game, but need to get a little bit more out of some like a Colin Golson, Orlando Lovejoy. A pair of guys are giving you right around five points per contest. Other than Bates, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game for this Eastern Michigan team either. It is a spot where I set Toledo as a 20 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay this summer. Eastern Michigan, they're not getting the job done on defense. They're not getting the job done on offense. And as a result, also did some I told 166 half diving under and one to lay the number of Toledo. 625, 626 on the betting board. Ball State is going to be playing us a Buffalo. Buffalo is an underdog of four and a half to five points. Your total is anywhere between 153 and 154. And for Buffalo, I did set them as an underdog of five and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the five slash four and a half with Ball State because I do think that Ball State is going to be able to win the battle down though. Peyton Sparks has been able to do an incredible job this season for Ball State, chipping in their 7.9 boards, 12.8 points per contest, and he's got a little bit of versatility. He's been able to let it fly a tad bit from three-point range, but on top of that, this is a Ball State team that they've got a pair of guys in John Coleman and Jalen Sellers combined for 27.5 points, nine boards, three and a half assists out of Coleman, and got Sellers shooting 47% from three. We've seen a little bit of regression with his three-point shooting two weeks ago. I was on this podcast, and he was shooting north of 50% from three-point range, so... Seems like water is starting to find its mark with regards to his three-point shooting percentage. But all in all, it is a Ball State team that they do shoot 37% from three-point range. Ball State not necessarily playing at a ridiculous tempo. Buffalo, they are playing at a ridiculous tempo. It's a Buffalo team that turns the total possessions per game. They're number three in all of college basketball. Ball State, they are 245th. Both of these defenses, they're relatively similar, though. Ball State, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 202nd for Buffalo. They are clocking in more around 244th. And for Buffalo, they have been able to get LaQuell Hardnett to be able to help out a little bit down low, 7.2 rebounds per game. But he's been incredibly inconsistent with his play. He has been able to get the team 12-plus rebounds in three out of the last five games. So he has really picked it up recently, but it hasn't really led to Buffalo giving up fewer points as they have surrendered now at least 80 points in three out of their last four games, so that's been a little bit unsightly. Meanwhile, you do have a Ball State team that they've been relatively consistent with their offense. Between 71 and 75 points and now three out of their last four games, and for that matter, they've scored somewhere between 70 and 75 in four out of their last five. So, I feel like you relatively know what you're going to be able to get out of Ball State. They're a team that they've been beginning to play a little bit more defense down low for Buffalo. They leave something to be desired with their offense. They do have Zid Powell along Curtis Jones combining for about 27.5 points per contest, but it is a Buffalo team that are shooting about 33% from three-point range. You've had Isaiah Adams be able to chip in their 10.5 points, 4.5 rebounds. He's got a little bit of versatility shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, and then been able to get about four boards out of Isaac Jack, six foot eleven freshman who's been able to step up for this team. He had 15 points in that win over Bowling Green, but it is a Buffalo team that's all over the place. Ball State, much more in control. They're much more buttoned up, and I do think that their defense is going to be able to lead to a W in this spot, and I do think that Buffalo is going to be held down just a little bit more in this ordeal. Buffalo, 
not necessarily the best jump shooting team in the world. So it is a circumstance where I did set my total at 151.5 diving under and with Ball State made them a 5.5 point favorite so want to lay 4.5 to 5 with them. 627-628 on the betting board. You've got Tulsa on the road facing off against East Carolina. East Carolina between a 3.5 and, and a 4 point favorite and your total on this game is between 142 and 142.5 Interesting ordeal here because Tulsa, they were the worst cover team in all of college basketball, but they've not been able to cover two out of their last three games, and it is a circumstance where I made my number four. Three and a half is the max I'm willing to lay with East Carolina. East Carolina has been one of your more intriguing teams in all of college basketball because the team has been able to play really well in the second half of a lot of games, and They've gotten off to some rough first halves, and they're going to be without their lead scorer, Javon Small, once again in this game, who's been able to generate for the team about 16 points, 5.8 assists, 4.8 rebounds per game, but they still do have R.J. Felton, who's been able to deliver for the team about 11.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, and they're going to have the best rebounder in this game. That'd be Brandon Johnson. He's been able to chip in their 9 rebounds, coupled with 12.5 points per game. Now, Brian Tellebongue, on the flip side, for Tulsa, he's been able to give the team 13 points, 9 boards. He's a little bit more of a low-post presence who's been able to chip in there a double-digit amount of rebounds at each of the last five games. Johnson has a bit more versatility in that he's able to shoot some threes. And Sam Griffin along with Brandon Benson, they've been able to do a solid job for Tulsa as well. They're combining for just under 27 points per contest. They both give you between 2 and 2.5 and assists per game. And Benson does shoot 46% from 3, but Tulsa also shoots 65.5% of the free line. They shoot 31.9% from three-point range, and the big thing is East Carolina's better defensive team. East Carolina just 163rd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but Tulsa is 276th in the country with this regard. We got Tim Dalgers able to give you right around five rebounds per game, and I mean, Tulsa, they get that overtime win against Tulane, but defense has just been very unsightly for them. They have given up at least 69 points in every single game that they have played this calendar year and in, I believe, now eight straight games in total. Meanwhile, it's an East Carolina team that the offense it has been very much lacking. They have scored 61 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Defense is still been there, 73 points or fewer, given up in four of their last six games. So intriguing because I did have to downgrade East Carolina because Javon's ball is dealing with an injury, but that said, I still did set East Carolina as a four-point favorite. They still have guys that are able to put the ball in the basket. You gotta expect that someone like a Jaden Walker is gonna need to step up. He's been a little bit banged up, but has now been able to give out a combined 11 assists in the last two games that we have seen, both of those games being without having Javon Small in the fold, so he's helping find guys like a Caleb Account, who hasn't necessarily done a lot this year with about four and a half points per game, but I think that he's gonna be able to increase his scoring load as well, so it's a total that I did set out of 144. Tulsa just giving up points upon points. And they have been able to score at least 69 points at each other last five games. So we'll want to take a look at the over in this spot. And for East Carolina, set them as a four-point favorite. So we'll want to lay up to three and a half with them. 629, 630 on the betting board. It is UIC on the road facing off against Missouri State. Missouri State is a 13-point favorite. And your total is between 130 and 131. And with Missouri State, set them as a 12-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the 13 with the UIC. UIC has been able to ascend a little bit with their defense. So we have seen a bit of a fall off 
in recent games. UIC was a top 120 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but now they've given up 76-plus points each other last five, so now they're back in the bottom half of college basketball with that regard. But for Missouri State, not an offense that has necessarily been able to generate a whole heck of a lot. They have scored 66 points or fewer in each other last five games, and two of those games went to overtime. So that tells you where this Missouri State team is at. They scored... 80 points against Evansville a few weeks ago, but past that, they have not really been able to emerge with their offense, and for Missouri State, they could easily be costed this cover by their free throw shooting. 61.6% is what they are shooting at the free throw line. They do have some good versatility. Someone like Jonathan Mogbo has been able to give the team 6.3 boards, 7.5 points per game, and has been able to do a nice job of also being able to chip in there a little bit of a block and 1.7 seals per game. For Missouri State, they are one of the slowest teams in college basketball. They're Despite the fact that they played a pair of overtime games in their last five. They're still in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. Donovan Clay, six foot eight combo player, gives you five and a half boards, seven and a half points, three and a half assists, and then you've got Chance Moore was able to shoot 37.5% for three with 11.5 points per game, but you don't necessarily have that one guy that's going to be a closer at the end of a game, and for UIC, you do have that main scorer, Chase Carter, who's able to give you 15 points, six boards. It's the UIC team that they themselves only shoot about 66% the free throw line, 32.5% for three, but do have Trevante Anderson. He's done a nice job of being able to toll out the ball with about 3.6 assists per contest. Certainly, it's a UIC team that been leaving something to be desired on defense, but you know what? The offense has been consistent between 64 and 72 points in each other last four games, so you know what to expect, and though this is a UIC team that is riding a losing streak of seven straight games, they've been relatively close, losing by 10 points or fewer in three out of their last four games, so it's not like they're getting completely bludgeoned in the, these games. You got a UIC team that they're a relatively mid-tempo team in terms of their pace. They're willing to play fast if you're looking to play fast. They're willing to play slow if you're looking to play slow. About 116th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Toby Okani has been able to give the team 7.5 rebounds per game down low. I think the Missouri State should be able to get the job done and they should be able to get this outright win. And I was willing to set them as a 12-point favorite, but that said, I think that we are way over-amplifying this other than the game that Missouri State played against Evansville. They really haven't been able to win by 12 plus points in the last two months in general. They've got one other 12 point win. That was against Northern Iowa just after Christmas. So I do take a look at this spot. I think that the line is a little bit too lofty. I'm going to be willing to take the points with UIC. I do think that UIC is going to be tied down on offense. I think the Missouri State is going to get their very slow, very grimy style. So I did also set my total at 128 diving under and going to be willing to take the 13 that I am seeing with UIC. 631, 632 on the betting board. It is Kent State. They throw to face off against Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois is an underdog of 13 to 13 and a half points. John's game is 137. I know that myself and Justin did not align on Davidson, but we align on this one. I'm going to be willing to take the 13 with Northern Illinois. Set this line at 12 and a half. With Kent State, this is a top 20 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and one of the best teams at being able to generate swipes in the country. So your big fear with Northern Illinois is the fact that they do turn the ball over 15.3 times per game and that takes them a little bit out of rhythm. But you do have a pair of guys in Keyshawn Williams and David Coit that both shoot between 35 and 36% from three-point range. They've been able to combine for 33.7 points per contest. They combine for 4.8 assists per game, and they really don't turn the ball over like flat. So I do think that they're going to do a solid job there. They don't have a lot down low. Anthony Krupp and Zarek Nutter, they combine for 9.5 rebounds per game, and Really, those two guys along with Williams are the only three guys on the roster that give you north of three and a half rebounds per game, so that's a bit of an issue with Nutter. He's been able to give you about 11 points per game. Flip side for Kent State, you do have some good versatility with 
this team. Myron Thomas, 6'8 combo player, 11.5 points, 5.8 boards, shoots 36% from three. Gonzaga Zola, they're shooting 34% from the outside, and Sincere Carey does it all for the team. 17 points, 3.5 boards, 4.7 assists, 1.8 steals, but doesn't shoot it well from three. And then Malik Jacobs, his three steals per game, leads all of college basketball, 12.5 points, 4.5 boards, but he's another guy that shoots 23% from three. Now you've got Giovanni Santiago, Jalen Sullinger. They can buy him for in that pocket about 15 and a half points per contest and Sullinger does shoot 46% from three point range but for Kent State I do think that it's hard for them to win by margin in this game. Their defense has been highly consistent recently. They have given up anywhere between 63 and 66 points in each of the last five games. They've been able to do a great job of just being able to tie these teams down in general. The last time that they allowed north of 72 points, that was Sue Gonzaga. They allowed 73 points and for Kent State, I believe that they have allowed north of 73 points just once this year. They gave up 74 points to Charleston in November. So, I mean, they have done a tremendous job of being able to tie teams down on defense. I do think that this is going to be a low-scoring game. Northern Illinois, they're in the top 80 in terms of possessions per game, but it's a Kent State team that they do a good job of just really sucking the life out of you. So, it is a total of which I did set at a 134.5. I'm going to be looking at the under, but for Kent State, you don't necessarily get a ton of great three-point shooting out of this team. It is a Northern Illinois team that they've been able to show a little bit more fight recently. I think that they're going to lose a battle on the glass because you do have Silron Ornbeek who's able to give you in that pocket about six rebounds per game but that's up for this Northern Illinois team. They come in winners of three other last four games. They have been still giving up quite a few points, giving up north of 77 points in three other last five games but at the same time they themselves have been able to score at least 73 in three other last five. I think that this summer is just a little bit too lofty. Willing to take 13 plus here with Northern Illinois and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 633, 634 on the betting board. Murray State hits the red face off against Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois is a 728, 7.5 point favorite. And your total on this game, it is 131. And with Southern Illinois, South is an 8.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Southern Illinois, they rank in the bottom 40 in terms of possessions per game, but they're a top 35 team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Marcus Somas is the stat sheet sufferer of this team. He has a human matrix in that he fills up every column of the stat sheet. 17 points, 6 boards, 3 and a half assists, a steal. Only shoots 30% from three. Southern Illinois hole. They shoot 31% from the, uh, from the outside. You've got Lance Jones, who has been his main form of support. 13.9 points, 1.9 seals, 2.5 assists per game. Only shoots himself about 20.5% from three. And then we got a trio of guys. Javon Newton, Clarence Rupert, Xavier Johnson. They all give you between 5.5 and 7 points per game. Johnson gives you 2.5 assists per game. Honestly, was expecting more of him after he chipped in there nearly four assists per contest while he was at George Mason last season, but it's a Murray State team that they have fallen off quite a bit. The Queens NC transfer in Jamari Smith got off to a massive start to begin the season, and he's starting to rebound nine plus points at each of the last four games, but he's averaging 12.5 points, five boards, shooting in that neighborhood about 29% for three. He was averaging for the first half of the season more like 15 to 16 points per game. Rob Perry is your main outside shooter, making 34.5% of his threes, 15 points per game, and Jacoby Wood, he's been able to make a lot of outside shots recently as well, shooting at least 42.5% from three and four of the last five games, 12 plus points in four of the last five games. He's had at least four assists in each out of his last three games, and said he is also turning the ball over about 2.8 times for contests as well. It's a Murray State team that they only shoot about 30.5% from three-point range. Good news is they turn the ball over 11 times per game, and Murray State, they've been looking to play a little bit more slowly here in the back half of the season, 208th in the country in terms of possessions per game. You do have a 
bunch in Southern Illinois. That I do think, though, is going to be able to tie them down. Murray State doesn't really have a lot down low. DJ Burns has been able to give the team seven boards, nine points per game. He's the only other guy other than Smith that's able to give you north of four and a half rebounds per game. The depth has not really been there like you expected. You need a little bit more out of Quincy Anderson, in my opinion, for Murray State. And I do think that Southern Illinois, a team that comes in having won four straight games, giving up 61 points or fewer in three of these four games. Last time Southern Illinois gave up north of 70 points. You have to go all the way back to early December when they played against Indiana State. That was 13 games ago. And for Southern Illinois, they already have a road win against Murray State, winning that game 63-57 to on a night where they shot 8-14 of at the free line, 7-26 from three-point range. Thing is, they won the turnover battle by a count of 10-4. They did not turn the ball over whatsoever against Murray State. Murray State was honestly a little bit of the better shooting team. Rob Perry had 26 points in that game. Southern Illinois still won. I do think that history going to repeat itself. I do think that you're in for a little bit of a low-scoring slog. That game was 63-57. to I said my total in this game at a 126 half. I'm diving under. I'm Southern Illinois. Set them as an 8.5 point favorite, so going to be one to lay it. Now we go to my DK and Ancient Pick, 635-636 on the betting board. TCU is going to be playing us Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a 6.5 to a 7-point underdog with your total 138. The DK Nation pick, that is going to be on the total. I talked about this a little bit with our good friend Justin. I set my total here at a 131. You've got an Oklahoma team that ranks right around 330th in terms of possessions per game, going up against a TCU team that ranks 16th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis at home. That goes up to 14th. TCU has not allowed more than 70 points at home since that season-opening nail-biter against Arkansas Pine Bluff, a game in which they did not have their top three scorers in the fold, and Emmanuel Miller, Mike Miles, Long Damian Baugh, and it is a TCU team that they themselves only shoot about 29.5% from three. They're in the bottom 30 of the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. So, offense is still pretty efficient. Baugh, who I mentioned before, 12.2 points, four boards, five assists, 2.1 steals per game. Mike Miles, Emmanuel Miller, they combine for two and a half steals. Miles is able to chip in there, 19 points, three and a half assists. Miller shoots 48% from three, really your lone three-point shooter for the team. And then from there, you've got a bunch of guys like Eddie Lampkin, Chuck O'Bannon. What he's healthy, Mike Peavy, because he's dealing with an injury. They'll give you about 7.7 points per game. As a matter of fact, all three give you approximately that. TCU, a very good offensive rebounding team against an Oklahoma team that they do leave a little bit of something to be desired on the glass. You've got Tanner Groves along with Jalen Hill, who will be able to combine for about 13 rebounds per game. They give you a little bit over 20 points per contest. And then the other Groves brother in Jacob Groves, he's been able to shoot 38% from three-point range. So they will give you 8.5 points per game in Oklahoma as a whole. They are shooting 36% from three-point range. That said, they do have a tough time taking care of the ball. They rank 256th in the country in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, and they go up against a TCU team that ranks in the top 20 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. So in a game that you're expecting not necessarily a ton of possessions to start with, having that many be wasted, that is relatively rough. And it's an Oklahoma team that they've allowed north of 70 points in just three out of their 19 games this season as well. I always say just because you play slow doesn't mean that you play supreme defense. And it's not like Oklahoma is necessarily batting down the hatches, but they're a top 100 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They allow about 6.3 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home, so that's not bad. Grant Sherfield, 17 points, 3.5 assists per game. I do like what he's able to do for this Oklahoma offense. I do think that Oklahoma, one of the lesser teams in the Big 12, we haven't seen them get tied down on offense as they have been held to 68 points or fewer in three out of their last five games, and the 68 points that they scored was in overtime, so they have scored 60 points or fewer 
in regulation in three out of their last five games and really four out of their last six. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a low-scoring slog. TCU doing a great job after they held Kansas to just 60 points in that game as well. And I do think that TCU at a six-half point line, they should be able to cover that. I'm mostly seeing six-half out there. I made my number seven, so I'm going to be one to lay the six-half with TCU, but the DK Nation pick, I think that you get a slow, grimy game in this one. I think that TCU and their defense going to reign supreme. I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, set my total at a 131. 637-638 was supposed to be Northwestern versus Nebraska because Northwestern played yesterday. This is a game that's going to be played later on down the line. So we go 639, 640 on the betting board. First though, State hits the red face off against Boise State. Boise State is a favorite of 11 to 11 half points. Your total is between 123.5 and 124.5. I did set Boise State as a 13 point favorite. The lone real risk that you run in my opinion in this game is that you've got two teams that they don't play with a lot of possession. So you are going to need Boise State to be relatively efficient in this game. For Fresno State, in terms of total possessions per game, I have your 363 D1 teams. Eric clocking in at 357th, and Boise State, they're a little bit faster, and this number is a little bit warped because they did play an overtime game against New Mexico. Overtime means that you just naturally have more possessions, but 216th in the country with that regard, but that said, Boise State, they've been able to shoot it really well from three-point range, shooting 36.7% from three-point range. You've got Chuzo Agbo along with Max Rice combining for 25 points, 9.7 rebounds. They combine to shoot about 42% from three-point range. Tyson Dagenhart, Mike Marcus Shaver, they do a great job filling up the stat sheet. They combine for about 28 points, a little bit over 12 rebounds. Shaver, 4.4 assists, 1.9 steals per game. You get two assists out of Dagenhart, and as a 6'8 combo player, he's been able to shoot well from three. He had that three that sent that game against New Mexico to overtime. Those of you guys like me that in New Mexico were a little bit salty about that, but take a look on the flip side for Fresno State, and they've been dealing with all sorts of injuries. Their top scorer in their win against UNLV, which that was just a sad, sad game for UNLV. That would be Isaiah Hill, who overall for the season has been able to give the team 10 points per contest. He went out and he had a 28-point performance in that one. Prior to that game, he had not scored more than 17 points all season long. They've been really relying upon Eduardo Andre 3000 as well down low. He's been able to give the team seven points, five rebounds per game. He had 16 and 13 in that game. And then in the last two games with added minutes because they've been without Isaiah Moore, who's been able to give you more thus far this season. He's had a combined 30 points, 28 rebounds. I am thinking that you're probably going to be with a lot of injuries in this game once again. They do have Jermarrell Baker out there. He had just three points in the last game, but overall for the season has been able to give the team 11.5 points, 2.5 boards, 2.5 assists. Only shoots about 30% from three-point range, so he has not necessarily been highly efficient. When you've got a team that is really dealing with the skeleton crew, they're shooting up right around 7-8 guys, having to go up against a Boise State team that they rank in the top 20 nationally. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they do a good job of being able to guard the arc. They do a great job of hitting the glass. A top 45 team in terms of rebound rate. I think that it's going to be futile for Fresno State, even though they, I do think that they are going to be able to slow down this game. This is a Fresno State team that is going to have such a tough time busting through this Boise State team that is just a rock-solid wall on defense. As a result, I did set Boise State as a 13-point favorite, and I do think the Boise State going to be able to do a lot of work on this total. For as good as Boise State has been on defense, they have scored at least 77 points in each other last five games. So I did set my total at 127 going over, and with Boise State, made them a 13-point favorite, so one to lay 11 to 11.5. 641, 642 on the betting board. Dorica is going to be playing up to Indiana State. Indiana State is an underdog of 6 to 6 half points. Your total on this game is between 144 and 144.5, and with Drake, I set them as a 5-point 
my favorite. I'm going to be one. Take six with Indiana State. Sycamores have been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. Now, I will say for Indiana State, they don't necessarily have a ton of size down low. So that is going to be playing a little bit in the favor of Drake because they have Darnell Brody down low. He's been able to do a solid job. Seven and a half boards, nine points per game. He's got six foot ten, good size. And you also have Garrett Sturts. For Drake, who he stands just six foot three, but he's not afraid to go down low and get some boards. Eight point seven points, six half boards. He shoots forty six percent from three as well. It's a Drake team that they shoot thirty six percent from three point range, and really both of these teams are relatively effective on defense. You've got a Drake team that, in terms of points allowed. On a per-possession basis, they're right around 41st, 42nd, depending upon how the Monday games go. And Indiana State, they're more around 90th with Indiana State. It's really a team that has one primary scorer in Cravissier McCulley, and he's been able to do it all. He's been chipping in there 16.5 points, 5.5 boards. He only shoots about 36.5% for three, which is relatively solid for an Indiana State team that they shoot about 33.5% from distance. Ships in there a steal per contest as well. But then, past that, you've got so many guys like a Cam Henry who was able to give you 11 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, steal and a half per game. Four boards, nine points per game out of Ravi Avila. You've been able to have someone like a Trenton Gibson chip in there. Four boards, six and a half points per game. Indiana State, they're willing to go nine, ten deep. So I do like that about them. It is an Indiana State team that has been dealing with their ups and downs. They have now lost four straight games. And in this recent losing streak, they have been held to 67 points or fewer in four of them. The defense has still been solid for this team. They've given up fewer than 70 points in four of their last six games. Meanwhile, you've got a Drake team that the only time that they allowed more than 65 points in their last five games was an overtime game against UIC where they allowed 61 points in regulation. Drake has really been able to tie teams down. So in terms of games that have ended in regulation, the last time they gave up north of 70 points, that was to St. Louis, and I believe that that was 10 games ago. might have been 9, but Drake has been able to do a tremendous job on this front. So even though you've got an Indiana State team that ranks right around 50th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slowed down game. I do like what Tucker DeVries brings to the table for Drake as well. He's going to be the top overall scorer in this game. 18.8 points, 6 boards, 239.5% from 3-point range, and 23 plus points in each out of the last 3 games. A combined 2 turnovers in those last 3 games. That is terrific, but I do think that Indiana State just has the pieces to be able to hold in this game. I did set my total at a 143, even with late game felling. I don't think that you approach this at all. I'm going to be looking at the under, and with Drake set them as a 5-point favorite, so we'll take 6 with a solid Indiana State defense. 643-644 on the betting board. Clemson plays us at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is an underdog of 11 points, and your total is 138 with Georgia Tech. I did set them as an underdog of 10.5 points, so here at 11, it is my buy point on them. You've got a Clemson team that's dealing with some injuries. Chance Hunter has been out of the fold the last few games. There is a chance that he does return to the fold, and they've been without Alex Hemingway for quite a while as well. Hemingway has been out since really mid-December. A guy that's able to give you 9.5 points out was shooting 50% from three. Not necessarily sustainable for Hunter. He was off the floor when the team was able to get the job done against Virginia Tech. He overall for the season has been able to shoot 40% from three, 14 points per contest, but even without him, you got the best player out there on the floor, in my opinion, Hunter Tyson, 15.5 points, 10 boards. He's been able to shoot 40% from three, 6-foot, 10 combo player in P.J. Hall, 14 points, 
five boards, 39% three-point shooter, and his rebounding is starting to come back to the ball. Eight-plus boards in three of the team's last five games and 20-plus points in each of the last three contests as well. He has been terrific, but for Georgia Tech, this team doesn't necessarily do one thing great. They are well outside the top 150 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They're 198th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're not a team that they necessarily play super-duper fast. They don't necessarily play super-duper slow. 170th in terms of possessions per game at Clemson. They're right around about the 190th range in terms of possessions per game, but Miles Kelly is a solid player. 13.5 points. She's 37% from three-point range. It's a Georgia Tech team that does not beat themselves. 11.7 turnovers per game. They do an okay job of being able to generate a few turnovers. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Lance Terry. Missed the team's last game. He was able to chip in their eight points per game on average, but that said, you still have a pair of guys in Dallin Coleman and Jaylon Moore that give you between nine and a half and ten points per game. Moore is able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. Davion Smith, eight points, five and a half boards. Javon Franklin, five and a half boards, one and a half blocks per game. You've got a lot of guys that they just do a good job knowing their role. They've got one dominant player in Miles Kelly, and it's a Georgia Tech team that they do a good job of just being a holding games. They've lost five straight games. They've been unable to get to 70 points of regulation in each other previous five, but that said, this is also a team that they have given up 75 points or fewer in now five out of their last eight games, so they've been able to do a solid job on defense last time these two teams played. Georgia Tech, they lost to Clemson by a count of 79 to 66 in that game. Georgia Tech shot just 5 of 23 from 3. It's not a great 3-point shooting team, but at the same time, I expect them to fare a little bit better. Hunter Tyson, P.J. Hall, they had a combined 23 rebounds, and Clemson won that rebound battle 40 to 28. I do think that Georgia Tech going to be able to clean some things up. I do think that Clemson gets the job done once again. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a closer game, though. I do think that Georgia Tech, they just did get a little bit of bad variance to go against them in that first game, and I do think that we are going to see Clemson be able to do a relatively solid job on offense, even with dealing with the injury to Chance Hunter. I do think that we get a total that is a little bit lower than game number one. I do think that Clemson get to dry up with their three-point shooting just a tad. I did set my total at a 138.5, so a circumstance where I'm going to be taking a look at this 138 over, and really nothing more than 138 over, and with Clemson, set them as a 10.5 point favorite, so one take 11 with Georgia Tech. 645-646 on the bank board. North Carolina hits the road face-off against Syracuse. Syracuse is a 3 to a 4-point underdog, and your total is 150.5. I said North Carolina is a 2-point favorite, so going to be one to take the 3-4 to four here with Syracuse. With North Carolina, they've got Armando Baco down low, who typically is by far the best low-post player in the game. 17.5 points, 11.6 rebounds, a block per game. He is coming off of 16-plus rebounds in each of the last three games, but you've got Jesse Edwards on the flip side for Syracuse, who I do think is going to be a matchup well with him. 10.5 boards, it's 2.8 blocks per contest, it's in the top 15 in all of college basketball. 13.5 points, a steal per game, and for Syracuse, you got a nice backcourt too. Joe Girard, Judah Mintz. Mintz is more of the ball handler and guy that's able to generate seals. Two seals, four and a half assists, 15 points per contest for Mintz, shooting at 16% from three, barring Girard. He shoots 38% from three. He chips in there, 3.3 assists, a steal, 17.5 points per game. You've got sort of that fire and ice with North Carolina as well with R.J. Davis, Caleb Love. They've been able to combine for 33 points. Love gives you three assists. Only shooting 27% for three. Davis, he shoots 39% for three. They combine for two and a half seals per game. But North Carolina and Syracuse, 
both leaving quite a bit of something to be desired on the defensive side of things. North Carolina turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Currently, they are ranked 128th in the country. Syracuse turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, 144th. But I do think that the Syracuse home crowd could be able to keep them in there. And for Syracuse, they've been utilizing their bench a little bit more. I would like to see our good friend Jim Bayheim decide to give guys like a Samir Torrance a few more minutes, but... Chris Bell has been able to chip in there seven points per game. He had a 17-point performance against Notre Dame about a week and a half ago. Benny Williams has been able to do a solid job with his good athleticism. Seven and a half points, four and a half boards. She's 42% from three. You've had some good production out of Pete Nance thus far this season. For North Carolina, ten and a half points, six boards, shooting 35% from three. But feels like he's begun to hit a little bit of a wall. Six points or fewer in four of the team's last five games. Ten points or fewer in each of the last five games that he has played in as he's been a little bit off and on injured. He should be good to go in this one as he played it against NC State but did not necessarily look like himself. So this is a circumstance circumstance where I did set my line at two. I am going to be willing to take the points with Syracuse, and I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game. Neither of these teams necessarily playing at too much of a breakneck pace. I do think that both of these teams are going to do a good job on the glass. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with Syracuse. 647-648 on the betting board. It is Vanderbilt. They play as Kentucky. Kentucky is a 3.5 to a 4-point favorite. Your total is between 145 and 145.5 with Kentucky. I set them as a 4.5-point favorite. 4 is the max that I'm going to be willing to lay, but I am willing to lay this number. And the big reason why, Liam Robbins is out of the fold for Vanderbilt, and I think that that's a really big stinking deal because he was the main post presence for this Vanderbilt team. He was able to give the team just under three blocks per contest, doing a good job hauling in their six rebounds per game. If he were in the fold, I think that Vanderbilt would have such a good chance of being able to get this outright win because Robbins is also the team's top scorer with 13.2 points per game. Vanderbilt doesn't have a lot in the backcourt. Miles Sute has been able to give you 10 points, 5.5 boards. He shoots 43.5% from three, but Vanderbilt as a whole, they only shoot about 33% from the outside. Ezra Manjohn, I like his game. Nine points, three assists, but he only shoots seven percent from three point range. You got a pair of guys that give you approximately eleven point one points per game. That would be Jordan Wright along with Tyron Lawrence. They've been able to combine for about eight rebounds, four point two assists per game, but they combine to shoot less than thirty percent from three point range. Lee Dort, you were expecting him to have some good production. He has not been out there all season long. He's banged up once again. And for Kentucky, Oscar Sheboy, without Robbins out there on the floor, should just dominate this game, leading the landscape in rebounding once again this year. 14 rebounds, 16 and a half points, a block, 1.6 steals per game, and I feel like that second half against Georgia might have been a determining point of the season for Kentucky. Xavier Wheeler just has not been a good fit for this team. We have seen his minutes get relegated combined 19 against Georgia and Texas A&M. Did not score in either of those games, and yet the team has been just fine without him because you've got Kassan Wallace giving you 11.5 points, 3.5 assists. He shoots 39.5% for 3. Antonio Reeves, he plays a little bit more off the ball. 12.5 points. He shoots 39.5% from distance. This team just functions better without Wheeler out there on the floor. CJ Frederick has been able to make some nice contributions as well. I think that Kentucky has found their blend. I'm willing to lay four and absolutely nothing more than four with Kentucky in this spot. And it's very intriguing from a totals perspective. I did set it at a 136 half. For Vanderbilt in their first game without Leah Robbins, it was an 85 to 82 just slobber knocker slugfest. But for Kentucky, they've been able to look a little bit better on defense without Xavier Wheeler out there. They're currently 95th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. You've got a Vanderbilt team that turns points a lot on a per possession basis. Currently, they're clocking in at 180. 
but both of these are mid-tempo teams, and I do think that for Vanderbilt, they're going to be looking to slow the game down a little bit more just because they don't have much of a backcourt. So I did set my total in this ordeal at a 136.5. I'm diving under. I was Kentucky. Made them the 4.5-point favorite, so I want to lay the number. 649, 650 on the betting board. Iowa State, they're going to be playing against Kansas State. Kansas State is between a 4.5 to a 5-point underdog. Your total on this game is between 134 and 134.5. I think that Iowa State is rightful favorite in this spot. I know that a lot of people are going to be looking at saying, how in the world is this Kansas State team a 4.5 to a 5-point underdog? I don't think it's too far out of whack. I just think that with Kansas State, they've got enough offense to be able to hold in this game because they're going up against an Iowa State team that they have been absolutely dominant on defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this Iowa State team, they currently rank 5th in all of college basketball. If you take a look at them in home games, they're number 2 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 74.8 points per 100 possessions. For Iowa State, I believe that they have allowed north of 70 points just twice all season long. They are number one in the country in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis, but they're going up against Kansas State team that, even with their harebrained game where they gave up 100 points to Texas, that was a game where I believe that they got to 118 in that spot. They're still ranked 33rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Kansas State, I think they're old in there because you've got a big two, and Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel, these two gentlemen have been able to combine for 35 and a half points. Johnson gives you seven and a half boards, 1.3 seals, and shoots 40% for three. Noel, 8.2 assists on fewer than three turnovers per game, 2.3 seals per game as well. And you've been able to get a lot more recently out of Nyquan Tomlin. Tomlin, six boards, 10.5 points per game overall for the season, but seven plus rebounds in four of the team's last five games got into a little bit of foul trouble against Texas Tech, so his numbers were a little bit down in that game, but by and large, he's been able to do a solid job. Kansas State, I do think, has a little bit of advantage on the glass now. Iowa State in the backcourt. They've been able to do an amazing job. You've got Oshun Oshuni, by the way, down low. Nine points, four boards per contest doesn't look like a lot, but he has made a big impact for the team and for Iowa State. They do generate 9.8 steals per game. Caleb Grill, Gabe Kelscher, Jerron Holmes. These three guys have been incredible, combined an average about 36 points per contest. You've got Holmes giving you 3.3 assists per game. Kelscher and Grill combined for 3.3 steals per game, and they combined to shoot about 36.5% from three-point range. And then you've got... A little bit of an under-the-radar guy in Taman Lipsby. Well, he gives you 6.5 points per game, but 4.8 assists, 1.9 steals, really good glue guy that has been able to dole out 6-plus assists in 3 of the last 4 games. He has been incredible for this Iowa State defense. Big reason why I can't lay this summer with Iowa State, though, is that I do expect this to come down to late-game falling. Iowa State does shoot 67% at the free throw line. That is something to take note of. Kansas State, they shoot more around 74.5% at the free throw line, and it is a Kansas State team that I think that they are going to be held below 70 points in this game. They have been held to 68 points or fewer in now three of the last four games ever since they played a hairbrain game and went to overtime against Baylor. Meanwhile, you've got an Iowa State team that they're just putting up tremendous offensive numbers, giving up 67 points or fewer in each of the last five games in the Big 12. That's darn near impossible to do. I do think that you're in for a low-scoring game. Get your mouth guard because it's going to be physical. So I might tell at 132, diving under. And with Iowa State, made them a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the five with Kansas State to go along with the under. 651, 652 on the betting board. Texas is going to be playing us Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is an underdog of eight points. Total is 135.5. I was talking about this with Justin Perry. Just hard 
to be weighing these sorts of numbers in the Big 12. And for Texas, the whole Chris Beard situation has thrown things completely out of whack for them. Texas has been a bit overvalued, 8-11 against the spread. Coming off of a nice win against West Virginia, and straight up, this team has went and won four out of their last five games, but they have won in their last three wins, all those games by eight points or fewer. Last time they won by more than eight points was that road win that they got against, ironically enough, Oklahoma State, 56-46 in that game. Oklahoma State shot 30% from the floor, 12-21 of 21 at the free throw line, and they still lost by 10 because they did a good job of turning Texas over 15 times. It's an Oklahoma State team that they were dealing with an injury to Musa Cisse in that game, and he's still dealing with an injury, so as a result, they've been really having to rely upon Caleb Boone. You take a look at what Caleb Boone has done, and in the team's last five contests, he's been able to contribute 15 blocks, and he's had 13-plus points in four out of the last five games, so he has really been able to contribute. They tried to get Cisse back out there on the floor against Oklahoma. He played limited minutes there against Iowa State. 15 minutes, zero points. I think that he probably plays a little bit more in this game, but I don't think that he's fully going to be effective. But with that said, what I do think is going to be beneficial for Oklahoma State is that they're now shooting it a little bit better from three. It doesn't sound like much, but they're now shooting 32.5% from distance. Avery Anderson, Bryce Thompson, they're combined for 22.5 points. Thompson shooting 39.5% from three-point. 14 after an per game for Oklahoma State. That's relatively unsightly, but this is an Oklahoma State defense that is one of the best that you're going to find in all of college basketball. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Oklahoma State 11th in the country. Texas, their calling card at the beginning of the year was defense, and they're still 24th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're actually allowing more points per possession when they're at home rather than on the road. And you've got an Oklahoma State team that they're content playing out of mid-tempo, 170 fifth in the country in terms of possessions per game. Texas, they're looking to play a little bit more up and down 60th in the country in terms of possessions per game. Mentioned it last time these two teams played. It was 56-46. Marcus Carr It's going to be the best peer scorer in this game. 17.5 points, shooting 48% from three-point range. And then from there, you got Serge Jabari Rice, Timmy Allen, Tyree Hunter. They all give you between 10.1 and 10.6 points per contest. Hunter and Rice both give you three and a half boards and between 2.3 and three assists per game. Allen is a sad cheat suffer. He's able to chip in there a little bit over five rebounds, three and a half assists. It is the Texas team, though, that as a whole, they shoot about 32.5% from three-point range. Offense has been able to do a relatively solid job recently, being able to chip in there at least 69 points in three of their last four games ever since that Oklahoma State game. But defense has really been able to rise up as well. They have given up now 70 points or fewer in three of their last five games. I do think that, much like we saw the first time around, it is going to be a little bit more of a buckle-down low-scoring game. I don't think it's going to be quite as low-scoring as what we saw the first time. 56-46. of 46. That's rather unsightly. I did something I told him 135.5. Right now, the total is at a 135.5. We were seeing this a little bit earlier, be at a 134. If we drop back down to like a 134, 134.5, that'll be my buy point on the over. If this goes up to 136 or greater, it is going to be my buy point on the under, so I will let this personally marinate. I'm thinking that we're probably going to get this go downward a little bit more, and then once we get down below 135, that'll be my buy point on the over, but that said, with Texas, set them as a 5.5 point favorite, so we'll take 8 with Oklahoma State. 653, 654 on the betting board. San Jose State is going to be playing as Air Force. Air Force is an underdog of 3 to 3.5 points, and your total is 127, and I did set San Jose State as a 4-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number for Air Force. They've been able to do a good job all season long of being able to control the turnovers more than in past years. 
In past years, Air Force has been a team that has gotten way out of sorts with the ball. This season, they're turning the ball over more around about 12 and a half times per game, more like 12 because in recent games, they've been able to do an even better job. So that is solid for them. And Air Force, they're not a tremendous offensive team, but you know what? You'll gladly take them, giving up right around 98 points on a per 100 possession basis. And for Air Force, they're actually giving up 2.8 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home, considering they've got elevation on their side when they're at home at Colorado Springs. That's actually rather remarkable. And yeah, two of the slowest teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Air Force, 349th in the country in terms of possessions per game. Good old San Jose State. They are finding themselves 353rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But I do think that San Jose State just has a little bit more offensive pop, which is why I am willing to lay the number because Omari Moore, he's able to take over a game. Averaging 15.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, 5 assists. Only shoots about 31.5% from three as whole. San Jose State, they shoot 33.8% from distance. The 66.3% free throw shooting. That is a little unsightly. But you got a pair of guys in Sage Schulbert, couple with Robert Vihala have been able to combine for 13 rebounds, about 15 points per game. You still have Abrima Diallo, 5.5 rebounds, 2 blocks per game down low. These guys have been able to do a solid job. Tibet Cronair has been able to shoot 37% for 3 as a 6 foot 8 combo player and for Air Force. They have been dealing with having a little bit of diminished play out of Corbin Green. He's been a little bit banged up as a result. 11 points of fear in each of the last 5 games for him. Overall for the season, he's able to give you 8.5 points, 1.9 blocks, a steal per game, but we have seen that diminish as he has given the team a combined five blocks in the last five games, two steals in the last five games. He has had three rebounds or fewer in each of the previous four, so him not being a force is big. You do have Camden Vanderswag shooting 42% from three. He's able to chip in their eight points per game. Jake Hydebrider has been the main guy for the team. Your lone double-figure score, 14.5 points, 3.5 boards, shoots 37% from 3-4. An Air Force team that they are shooting 36% from distance with Air Force. They have, though, allowed at least 70 points in four of their last five games. Lone exception, game against a Fresno State team has all sorts of banged up. San Jose State. They themselves have had a little bit of a rough go of it on defense as they have allowed at least 75 points in each of their last two games. Prior to that, though, they were really tying teams down. They had allowed 67 points or fewer in each other previous three games. And in regulation, because the UNLV game went to overtime, they had given up 70 points or fewer in pretty much eight straight games. I do think that San Jose State going to be able to get back to that little bit of a slower, more grimy style. Both of these teams super-duper slow. And with Air Force being a little bit hobbled, I did set San Jose State as a four-point favorite. one to lay the three and a three-and-a-half that I'm seeing with these Spartans at home. And I did set my total 126. going to be a game that it's not going to be involving a lot of business. Sessions. Going to be looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with San Jose State. down. we wrap things up with 655-656 on the betting board. UNLV is going to be playing us Wyoming. Wyoming is a 7.5 to an 8-point underdog with your total 142. I did say UNLV is a 10-point favorite. Now, for UNLV, things have been very bad for them in conference play as Currently, they're clocking in with a 1-6 straight-up record in conference. But for Wyoming, they're all sorts of banged up. Credit where credit is due. They get the job done against Colorado State. Hunter Maldonado returned in the fold for that game. Didn't play at 100%, but he still had 7 points, 5 assists. And he's going to be out there. He's going to be giving the team his all. And you've got Noah Reynolds to be able to up him up between Maldonado and Reynolds for the season. They're averaging 28 points per game. Maldonado gives you 3.5 assists, 1.5 steals per game. And... 
Reynolds has been able to shoot about 32.5% from three-point range for a Wyoming team that they shoot 67% of the free line, 34.5% from three, but they're currently dealing with an injury to Brandon Wetzel. Wetzel has been able to shoot 47.5% from the outside, 8.5 points per game, has not played since early January. They've been dealing with Hunter Thompson, their main rebounder with 5.5 rebounds per game being out of the fold. Max Igbong-Polo, someone who comes in from USC. He played in the game against Colorado State. He played for two minutes and zero points. He has played a combined eight minutes in his last two showings, so that is not great for Wyoming. Meanwhile, you've got a UNLV squad that the defense, it is starting to deteriorate. Entering into the new year, they were a top 35 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This has diminished to 86th, but I do think that they're going to be able to tighten up the screws, and I do like the fact that they've got good versatility. Luis Rodriguez, along with EJ Harkless, are really your main two guys. They combine for 28.5 points, right around 10.5 rebounds. Harkless gives you 3.5 assists per game. They combine for 3.8 steals per contest, and Rodriguez shoots 33% from three. Keyshawn Gilbert shoots 42% from the outside, chips in their 3.8 assists, 12.5 points per game. You've been able to get some good production with right around 8 points per game out of Joseph Webster, who's shooting 47% from three-point range. A little bit of a heat check score, but I do like what he's able to bring to the table for UNLV. It is a squad that has given up now at least 70 points at each of their last five games, but the good news for them is going up against this squad in Wyoming that has had a relatively rough go of it, and I mean, for UNLV, they actually have given up at least 70 points if you want to date it back a little bit further in eight of their last nine games. It is a Wyoming team, though, that they have been all sorts of all over the place with regards to their defense, giving up 80-plus points in four of their last five games. They will rise up against Colorado State, and I do think that they did unearth a little bit of a blueprint. Wyoming, they're looking to play very slowly right now, and I think that they're going to be looking to make this game as just yucky as humanly possible as Wyoming, 296th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. UNLV, they've cranked up their pace. 83rd in the country in terms of possessions per game. The faster that UNLV has played, the worse they have played for Wyoming. The faster they have played, the worse they have played as well. I do think that both of these teams realize it. They're going to be looking to play super duper slow, but this is a skeleton crew for Wyoming. I think the UNLV gets back online. One to lay up to 9.5 with UNLV, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and that'll wrap things up. For the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts, a big thanks to our good friend Justin Perry over there at Chalk Quality Bets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you are able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, when I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM, they mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, that's fine an Apple Podcast review. If you're at this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 